0: Another beautiful day. It's actually not so beautiful out where I am right now. Good to see all of you. A lot of familiar faces in the house. Bobby J. Matt Gox. YS. Go down the list as many of many of you. Matt Gox, can you hear me okay? Matt Gox, yeah. you there? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks. So, uh, a lot to talk about, as always. And it's really amazing. When I, I got up this morning, I had no idea if we'd do the space, but... There's always something to talk about, and on a day-to-day basis, I just let the market uh, direct the conversation. Um, I put a few uh, talking points in the title of the room. The Dunning-Kruger effect, which I know is a favorite of Mt. Gox. We need to talk about that a little bit. It's a term that's much bandied about in FinTwit, but I don't think people really understand the full consequence of it. And I really would like to talk about that. And then the... uh, Increasing dialogue around the Fed and the economy, inflation, rates, credit. I really would like Bobby J to talk about that a little bit. Um, You've heard me say many times in the past that the Fed's trapped. They don't have a plan. I think they're just making it up as they go along. And we're now starting to see Mr. Market uh, giving the pushback uh, to that and the market response function and maybe the bond market vigilantes who were thought to be an extinct species. Maybe they're going to make a comeback. Who knows? I see Doomberg has just entered. Great to see him. He was in Michael Guyad's room last week. We had a chance to talk. I urge all of you to follow Doomburg. He's one of the smartest guys out there. Um, he has a great sub stack. I don't have any commercial affiliation with him, but he is a must follow. Uh, he's one of the sharpest, sharpest guys in the street. So, Looks like we've got a lot of smart people in here today, so let me just kick it off by talking about a couple things, and then I want to open up to get a free, a free flowing food fight going. It's always the best way to do this, but just to set the sort of set the ground or ground rules or not the ground rules, but the the tone for the room or where I'd like to go. Um, the markets are uh, voting with their feet. It's as if you've had these last few many years situation where similar to that when the beach ball is held well below the surface of the water and you let go, it rises to the surface. And we're coming out of this period where you've had extraordinary amounts of intervention in markets, particularly uh, in the rates market, and that's starting to uh, normalize. And I think people are ill-prepared for what the full uh, consequences uh, of this are going to be. You combine that with what's going on in um, some of the commodity markets and yes of course the recent events the tragic events in the ukraine have uh, poured gasoline on the fire no no pun intended of what was already a very bullish setup in the energy in the oil patch but for those of us that have been in these rooms for months and months and months the bullishness was not predicated upon any idea that there was going to be a ukrainian conflict rather has to do with the supply demand situation in the market, that there's really been no supply response, that we're coming off of eight years of uh, huge decline in capital investment in energy, as well as many other uh, extractive commodities. And those are problems that, you know, did not present themselves overnight, nor will they be fixed overnight by whether or not Jerome Powell raises rates by 25 or 50 basis points. And I think that's really the bigger picture issue behind what's going on in commodity markets. Um, it's it's yeah. Of course, the Russia thing hopefully would get settled, which I unfortunately don't think it will. Yes, you would see things sell off, but that's not really the main issue here. That's the main plot, and, it, and it's the tourists, the, the the Jim Cramers of the world, people chasing headlines and sound bites that are reacting, not anticipating. They they just don't get it, and so I think we're in a very uh, perilous time. We've seen this rally the last couple of weeks, which in my opinion is just a rally from oversold conditions. As someone tweeted out the other day, maybe someone in this room, I don't really recall, about the Fed, watch what they do, not what they say. Or to use the basketball analogy, hips don't lie. If you're playing defense, watch the guy's belly button. Forget about the open mouth operations. They've still, money supply growth is still running up. I can't remember the number. I think it's like 16% year on year or something like that. So they've not yet begun to tighten, as uh, John Paul Jones would say. So I think we're on a powder keg. We've got a powder keg right here. It's very volatile. Trying to call the market day-to-day or week-to-week is a fool's errand. It's not what we do here. It's not what anyone with an ounce of common sense would try to do. I guess if you're running a Discord, if you're running a, 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 a live trading room and trying to hawk a Discord service for $99 a month, and as ponytailed, Former NFL football players who appear on CNBC, but I shall not name names, would say price is truth. No, it is not. That is one of the most idiotic things anybody has said in FinTwit in memory. Um, if you're trying to look at the fundamentals and, and 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 to where the puck is going, not where it is, you have to stand back. I think the shorter term you're focused, the more prone you are to being wrong. And unfortunately, because of social media and and and, and the networks and Jim, Jim Cramer's of the world. Everyone's focused on the sort of attention-grabbing story du jour. Don Cox, retired, uh, former investment strategist, lastly, I think, for BMO, had an illustrious career, was at uh, Charlotte wertheim for a while, Harris, investment associates, et cetera, et cetera. Another wise old sage who I hope to get in this room uh, before long. I've been in contact with him. He had this idea, and I apologize if some of you have heard it, but I suspect most of you haven't heard this story. He said you always should invest on the basis of what's on page 16 of the newspaper, not on page one. Page one is already in the price. It's the story that's warming up in the bullpen on page 16 that you want to be invested in. And that's the way I try to pursue things. Because if you're just chasing the headlines, you're going to be late, you're reactive. It just just doesn't work. There's no way to roll you got to try to anticipate. And I think if you get beyond these Ukraine-Russia uh, headlines and you think about what's really going on, that we have a supply side. You know, there's been, again, inadequate investment in many extractive industries. We now have a supply side shock where whether it's energy or, uh, you know, pig iron, rebar, whatever, there's a whole bunch of commodities, grains, where supply is being withdrawn from the market, you know, that, that can only mean one thing for prices. And, and you may say, okay, well, that's in the short run. It may go down the longer run. But what we really need to think about is, what in the case of Russia, for instance, with energy, what's the long-term effect on this? You look at how many many major Western oil companies are withdrawing from Russia. So what does that mean for production, not this year, but two, three, four, five years out? will the Will, will, will the necessary investment be there? And again, people are just so reactive, they're not thinking. I think we're with a real inefficiency here, and I hope Doomberg will speak on this, because he had some he's written a lot. I really would like for Doomberg to talk. Go to his and he'll tell you I don't know if it's Doomberg.com or where it is. Uh, maybe Doomberg, you can put it up in the nest. But he's written some great pieces now for a long time about coming food shortages and, and so on and so forth. And that's the real story. That's the real story. And all this other stuff about what's the Fed going to do, I mean, as I've said once, I'll say it a million times, the Fed can't drill for more oil. The Fed can't grow more wheat. This is the real problem. And so you look at the policy responses that they're employing, try to game out what they're they're likely to do and what the market's likely to do in response. So, for instance, they don't want to engender a bear market. Okay, fine. So they're not going to tighten or not tighten as much as they should still running a highly stimulative policy. So what does that mean? The, the, the bond market calls BS on that, and you saw yields, you know, go up 40, 50 basis points in one week. We've been talking about that for weeks. That's nothing new. And then, you know, for all the Tina idiots out there, oh, stocks are the best. You know, cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. They're cheaper than the bonds. Look at the equity risk premium. I mean, that's stockbroker economics at its worst. Plug in, you know, a 50 basis point increase in the ten year, which is what we got, and all of a sudden the equity risk premium ain't looking so hot anymore. Not to mention the fact that, um, you know, you look at how much stocks have, have, have many stocks have gone down. Forget about the soundbite indices. Let's talk about the individual names. I think there's a fully a third of the S&P which is yielding more than the bond than the ten year right now. So there are a lot of moving parts here. Um, a lot we can talk about. You know, we've seen a big rally in the last couple of weeks. As I said, uh, the market was very oversold. Uh, there's a lot of shorting going on. Uh, there's been a confluence of events. I'm looking at something. The Commitment of Traders data came out yesterday. Alan Levinson, friend of this room, I hope he comes back in, was talking about yesterday how that report came out. And in the five days of trading to Tuesday of this past week, the hedgers, who are some, amongst some of the smartest money, they had covered 130 billion of their short. They went from 160 billion short to 30 billion short. But as someone rightfully pointed out, I think with Schmuckatelli, that's actually a bearish, not bullish because the source of potential buying power just got spent. On top of that, you have the retail investors who've been piling in like crazy. You know, witness the the it's reflected in the data, but also anecdotally, look at individual names. The game, the, the, the meme stocks went nuts again. You also have some of the systemic traders. The uh, the uh, risk parity guys, the vol targeting guys, they're momentum players. So, you know, if you're a if you're a uh, if you're a vol targeting fund, and vol comes down, that means you can expand your balance sheet, and vol goes up, you got to contract your balance sheet. So, it, it kind of just uh, aggravates or 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 or, or uh, uh, accentuates whatever the trend du jour happens to be. So, price is not truth. If there's one thing I can I can tell you, price is not truth in, in many of these cases. In the meantime, earnings estimates start continuing to roll over now for the market overall. Liquidity is continuing to tighten. Uh Michael Hal, I hope he comes back in this room. But the, by the way, there's a great I tweeted it out. Please, please, please watch it. Michael Hal in conversation with Tony Greer. Like, what could be better than that? Tony Greer just he's both those guys have spoken in this room. Two of my friends, two of the smartest guys I know. They, Michael was laying out the case for, you know, it it was about liquidity, is about liquidity, it will be about liquidity, and the news is not good on that front. Just quickly, and I'm going to stop my rant, uh, looking at a couple other things that I jotted down here that I want to talk about. Really interesting, I'll tweet this out, but if you look at what's happening to positioning in commodities, it's remarkable. You might expect that with markets going up, it would have been accompanied by a bunch of massive uh, buying. But if you look at um, the CFTC data, this is courtesy of, um, of um, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, you know, open interest has declined in a lot of um, uh, commodities. And if you look at cumulative flows across all the commodity markets, it's actually been going down, not up. So if you told me that committed to traders data
1: showed everyone's
0: wildly, you know, in and you know and, and, and who's left to buy i'd be like oh, okay that's not a good sign but it's the opposite marks have been exploding and people have been selling and whether it's because they're getting stopped out because of margin and there's you know a lot of problems with volatility and increased margin requirements or whatever it doesn't really matter the point is position has gotten lighter as markets have gone higher so that's incredibly bullish for commodities which for all you by the Dippers and Bond land, like I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Let's put it this way. It's not a trade I would do. All right. Enough of my rant. Um, as always, it's, it's best to hear from others. So Matt Cox, let's hold the Dunning-Kruger effect for just a little bit later. Um, I'd like to, oh, I see Dunberg's in the room right now. So let's go to, if Dunberg, if you're willing to speak, I'd like to have you, you know what? It's really, it's a special pleasure for you to be in here. So we're going to change the rules of engagement. I didn't realize you we were going to be here. And with your, blessing if you're up for it maybe you know give us like i don't know five ten fifteen minutes if you want of your current thoughts i thought you were very on point and and cogent and and, and very insightful in your comments in michael Guyad's lead leg report room the other day so i don't know if you just want to channel your inner lead lag report spiel or whatever you'd like to say but i think i think it'd be really useful to the room and i expect you'll probably have if it's all said and done, there'll probably be upwards of eight or 10,000 people that hear you uh, when they all listen to the replays. So, Doomberg, if you're up for it, um, you know, I'll let you have as much time as you want. If not, if you want to make a comment, that's fine. But I know people would greatly benefit from your insights. So, Duke, Doomberg, good to uh, good to see you, good to hear from you. Please unmute yourself. The floor is yours. I don't know if he's there, so hopefully he'll come back. Uh, Bobby J., are you there, my friend?
2: Yes, I am.
0: All right, so uh, Bobby J. So Bobby J. If you don't know, to remind you, they don't know him. Uh, long time uh, Wall Street veteran, decades of experience. He's an older guy like me, but he looks comes to the land, looks at the world through the lens of credit and fixed income. And so Bobby J. I mean, as you 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 and I have this standing joke where you know you're you're on guard, you're on you're on the bridge to alert to cr- trouble in credit land. But before we get into credit land specifically, just maybe fixed income. I look at where, you know, where bonds are, how they've done. People say, oh, it's oversold, it's oversold. Well, yeah, but if you look at a long-term picture, you're breaking major long-term downtrend lines. And I think, to with apologies to our Bitcoin maxi friends, you got to zoom out. And to me, I think rates are firmly going higher, no question. And so what's your view on rates and on credit? Thank you, Bobby.
2: Yeah, um, I want to say um, two things first. And one is... Um, there's no point in me coming on here and and telling everybody things that they can read in the paper, um, here on um, the news channels, uh, or here in the rooms. And so I wanna offer something that I I think is being overlooked today. Uh, Secondly, I agree with you 100%. The hips don't lie. I always refer to the two and five year part of the curve as the hips. And uh, you keep an eye on that and you'll know what's going on. Um, I think the five-year going to 3% is a really big refund problem in corporate credit and high yield. And Michael Howell would agree with that. Uh, But before I go there, I want to say one thing. Uh, I'm going to ask you three rhetorical questions, George. Number one, uh, is the Fed that stupid or that out to lunch? Uh, when the market is telling them that inflation is higher, that rates are moving higher, they have never lagged behind twos and fives uh, like they have today in probably the last uh, 30, 40 years. Um, So if they're not that stupid, if they're not that out to lunch, there's a fire blazing outside and they're sitting in the firehouse smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, watching March Madness. You know, why are they doing this? So the answer to that question is the Fed has four mandates, employment, inflation, financial stability, and the cost of financing U.S. government debt. And That, that fourth mandate has grown considerably uh, to the point now we have merged Treasury and the Fed, and we might as well call it um, the leader, Jay Allen jay yellen sorry and um so i'm going to ask you this question george if if you had 28 trillion in debt and you're the biggest borrower in the world and you could borrow at three percent would you rather have inflation be six percent
0: or one percent bobby jay again like you've heard me you and i are old friends we joke about this you've heard me use this line before i'll use it again Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. So the answer to the question is, of course, they want six percent. It's it's why it's again, watch what they do, not what they say. Debt right? Is, debt is de- the debt is nominal. Uh, sorry, you know, the amount of debt stays unchanged, but if you can inflate economic activity through through you know higher inflation, and you can thereby divide the debt by having t- higher tax revenues. That's the way you roll. So Bobby J, do, do I get an A or a B for that answer? You get
2: an A, and we're exactly right. But this is not something you hear, right? I mean, how many times do we have to steer people away in the rooms and, and elsewhere from saying, what is J going to do at the next meeting? Is it going to be 50? Is it going to be 100? Is it going to be 25? I mean, forget your, any amount of time you waste thinking about that is a waste of your bandwidth. And you should be thinking about how you're going to position. So, um, and by the way, they have sculptured this curve in terms of their liabilities and their quantitative easing. They made a they made one basic mistake because they made two policy errors. One is is um, too much stimulus, but also that they didn't extend the maturities of the treasury debt. So I think you know I think we should not think that the Fed is on our side in terms of inflation so that tells me that this thing is going to run longer and harder than um than you know we think it is or we or we should think that they care it's like you know you live in a bad neighborhood you call the cops and they don't come this is what we have today with this fed and we should expect inflation to stay higher
0: we appreciate that bobby so let me ask you a question for that so we get ready higher um, tax revenues. One of the um, one of the, the things that's being thrown around right now, uh, filed under the heading of Stockbroker Economics, and again, for those who haven't heard me the last couple of days, there's a very erudite, now retired investment strategist called Andrew Smithers, used to uh, be head of SG Warburg Equities, I think, mm-hmm. then had his own consultancy, He's in that sort of Michael Howe type of uh, league, and he had this rather pejorative term called stockbroker economics, and it's a sort of soundbite nonsense that you know someone utters, and then people latch onto it because it's catchier. It sounds sounds good, and but it's bereft of any fundamental underpinning. So, for instance, the Fed model, complete and utter garbage, right? Complete. I mean. You'd be thrown out of a freshman finance class at Wharton if you if you if you uttered the, the Fed model, but you have these geniuses and Wall Street firms that go around talking about the Fed model. Well, the new the new version of that is or avert new version of that is, and I think it's very ill considered. You're breaking up
2: a
3: little, George. Sorry,
0: sorry. Hold on, I I wasn't moving, so I don't know what the problem is. Uh, Mt. Cox, are you been able to hear me okay, Mt. Cox? No, uh, you're falling out a little bit. All right, I I don't know why. If, Please speak up whenever you can't hear me because I'm not I have not been moving. I don't know what's going on. So please speak up when you can't hear me. So in any of it, um, this idea that the yield curve is, you know, has been flattening. And we're. Getting, and Bobby J, this is a question for you. The yield curve is flattening. And ergo, we have to have a re- we will have a recession in 12 to 18 months. End the story. You know, do not pass. Go go directly to jail. Well, hold on. It is true. That every recession has been preceded by an inversion of the yield curve, but it is also, but it is not true that every inversion of the yield curve has produced a recession. And so, some people go running out and they say, "Oh, we're going to have a recession." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 time out!" So, point number one I just made. Point number two, if you consider just how stimulative monetary policy is, going back to this idea of having a beach ball suppressing underwater and letting it float up. You're still, I don't care if the curve's 20 basis points, 100 basis points, but the fact that real rates are so far below, they're so negative, that it's still incredibly stimulative. So, you know, people running around calling recession, this is very important actually because to me the only way, or the most likely way that we're going to get any relief on oil prices and other commodity prices and, and wages and so on and so forth is if we have a real tightening if we have a real recession and if we don't i think this stuff's just going to continue to run i mean i don't want to get hysterical but i retweeted out something yesterday that somebody had put up there as a picture of gavin Newsom, the governor of california you know blathering on about whatever it was four or five hundred dollar you know tax benefits for people not even low-income people everybody even even electric car vehicle electric car owners tax relief for higher fuel prices and 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 the gist of the tweet was this is how Weimar begins. So, Bobby J, I'm on a ramp. This is a question for you. If they go down this road of, I and mean, just listening to you talk, go down this road of, they don't tighten the way they would. Again, watch the hips. Watch what they do, not what they say. We continue to run a very similar policy, despite the fact the yield curve has been flattening. I just think commodity prices and, and, and wages inexorably continue to spiral upwards. And, and, and this thing, Will really get out of control. Thoughts, comments, or actions, Bobby? I, I agree,
2: um, but I'll point out two nuances to that. I do think um, inflation is going to continue, nobody's stopping it. But so I'm in more of a stagflation camp. Uh, and, be, and the reason is that inflation is doing some tightening for the Fed. We see that housing starts are turning over, housing stocks are down. You know, I've been short the credit card uh company banks um and so the fed is going to be tightening in the consumer sector in other words the fed is doing everything in its power for the past two decades to screw over the consumer and the citizen average citizen so the two achilles heels and this go around is consumer credit and u.s european i mean and european credit uh so i think the worst case scenario George, is that we have inflation continuing to be at a plus five, 6% rate commodities. That's another whole story, even separate from the Fed, because as you say, I don't want to tie that back to the Fed because the Fed can't print oil. So um, I, I'm kind of giving you a, a crappy answer to your question, but uh, I think they're, they're given a, um, a knee right to the groin of the uh, consumer with higher inflation, and we're going to see it in consumer credit. Uh, but I think
0: they will protect corporate credit at all costs. Yeah, Bobby, you've been very consistent on that, and, and I agree 100%. I guess we're having getting caught up in terms like recession, stagflation, because that people attend, attach meanings to those things. It's kind of really missed the point. If we get a situation where – Inflation pressures remain elevated, possibly even intensify. And given the disparate effect it's having on very different parts of the economy, you look, for instance, at the consumer, people at the high end have never had it better. But the 40% of the ordinary folk who live paycheck to paycheck, they're getting absolutely destroyed by what's going on. So, for instance, if you look among retailers, I saw something the other day on restaurants. I was listening to a, a restaurant call from a major firm. I, mean, I had their restaurant nerds talking about the various restaurant stocks. And if you look at the high end guys, they're killing it. But the low end guys, not so much. So it's easy to generalize. So the point I want to make is rather than say, oh, it's stagflation, oh, it's a recession, what if we just get an earnings recession that companies that are unable to pass on their prices, um, unable to fully pass on their price increases, taken in the form of margins and so a consistent theme of mine has been or repeat, it for those you haven't heard me you want to own price makers not price takers if you don't have pricing power you got a problem so yes we'll get a slowdown and you're right to point out bobby the slowdown in housing that's the most visible one but it's slowing it's not collapsing and you know it's not gonna be enough to drag down the whole country now we may well get and one now i'm gonna to totally contradict myself and i want doomberg to wait i don't know if he's still here but um one of the things that i'm really worried about is this thing gets completely out of hand food and energy prices just skyrocket totally destroying purchasing power for consumers and that will give us a recession but right here right now in other words commodity markets may wind up doing the work of the fed the fed doesn't want that but i think there's a chance you just get a complete freight train runaway of commodity prices on the upside i mean bobby i know you're not a commodity. Right. Expert, but given what the Fed has refused to do, I mean, Paul Volcker, please call your office. I mean, a, what do you think the chances of the scenario I'm talking about, and and what do you think it would do to fixed income markets, credit, and the economy?
2: No, I mean, I listen. I'm, um, I think the credit alarm is about uh, three to six months from sounding off, as um, especially in high yield, it's going to take a little longer, and the consumer was going to go first. But bear in mind, I agree with you 100 percent that stagflation and recession and all those um, those terms are useless to us because we're going to have real GDP uh, as a negative number, uh, not nominal. So, uh, you know, they're going to play with, you know, they're going to point to nominal they'll, they'll never point to real. And, you know, that's where the pain trade is going to be.
0: OK, enough of that rant. Um Let's get this going a bit further. We were going to have Dunberg speak, but then he left. I gave him first shot, but he didn't answer. So hopefully he'll come back. So um, let's go to Mt. Gox. If you're there, Mt. Gox. Are you there, Mt. Gox? Yeah. Okay. Would you like to um, maybe slowly and carefully explain a little bit about the Dunning-Kruger effect? You and I have talked about it for a long time. I know you're a big proponent of it. Could you just explain a little bit to people, kind of Dunning-Kruger 101, you know, for beginners, what that's all about? And, and importantly, as it applies to the market, these people who are trafficking in Kathy Wood stocks or meme stocks or whatever, and therefore and therefore, the, the risk they're taking without even knowing. So, so Matt Gox, the floor is yours. Yeah, can you hear me all right? Cause we, we, yeah, we, we, we hear you 100%, 100%.
3: Okay, thank you. Uh, just in short, so it was a famous psych, a study in psychology, where people with limited knowledge had a lot of confidence. So I pinned up top, like they called it the mound, uh, Mount Stupid, peak of Mount Stupid. You have very limited knowledge. Let's say you've watched like ten minute YouTube video on the economy, for instance, then you'll have very loud voices about the economy. Whereas people, you know, like George, who's studied, you know, thousands and thousands of hours on the economy, and if, if you've studied that much, you know that you actually don't know that much. Uh, that's one of the things that. In the end, you just you studied so much, and you realize that you you probably don't really know what's going on, and you'll be consequently less confident in the things you say. So, you might have less strong. So that and that particularly pertains to the meme stocks and crypto. Uh, just in terms of crypto, like in crypto, people have done in Kruger. They've seen like a ten minute video on economics, a ten minute video on computer science, ten minute video on finance, and in their mind, they're like, oh, if I combine this knowledge. You know, it's it's all it's a perfect storm. Like, I, you know, th- this is it. This, it's crypto is the thing, and and the same with the meme stocks. They they go to the theater and they're like, wow, this is a good theater. Like, I'm the the coke is nice, the popcorn's good. You know, this thing has to go up. Like, people love this love this product, and they they you know they get fanatic and they get into these uh, you know theories, uh, conspiracy theories about what's holding the stock down and, you know, short squeezes and all this stuff. So that's, that's a short or comprehensive overview. But yeah. Then so you have,
0: yeah, so Matt, are like, so, so you're worried, you know, it's really particularly dangerous because you've had all these new investors come in the market and all they really know is the market conditions of the last five or 10 years. And, and, and it's sort of like, it's your, it's your moral. It, it, you're entitled to have the market go up all the time. And, and, and in particular, not just the market, but the kinds of stocks they're buying. They pay no attention to valuation. They chase memes. They chase narratives. And then with, with and then the thing maybe you could talk more about, because you and I have been caught up in more than our share of Bitcoin rooms or AMC rooms. When it when it goes wrong, they get angry. And, and, and they think that they're right and the market's wrong. I mean, maybe you could just share without going too crazy. Some of the horror stories, or maybe one or two of your favorite stories about stupidity of some of the people that you 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 you've dealt with in some of these crazy rooms.
3: Oh, I I talk with uh, Bitcoin maximalists all the time in in these spaces, and uh, it's shockingly how little they know about how the world works. You know, economics, finance, computer science, and if they know something, they usually. Like, they only know computer science. They know that, like, all the algorithm works and all this stuff. But they don't know economics. They don't know finance. So they just kind of, they drink the Kool-Aid and they're like, oh, sound money, uh, you know, all this stuff. Inflation's bad. And, you know, all this uh, Austrian, the Austrian school of economics, basically, they just, they drink that Kool-Aid. But they can't explain why. Why is it bad? Like, what's the underlying factors making it a bad investment or good investment? They can't explain that, and I've very rarely heard anyone in these rooms or the Bitcoin rooms. The same with the meme stocks. You have this three aces come in who's like a mining specialist, and he, he tells the truth about AMC uh, getting into a mine, and they, they go crazy, because they know that he knows, and they're just like, they're personally offended that, that he would dare to
0: say something that you know could make their stock go down. Thank, thank you for that, By the way, Um, I posted something, which I posted before, and I'll post some other information in this area, but I got a lot of uh, uh, approval of a tweet I put out earlier this morning about logical fallacies, 15 different logical fallacies that people commonly employ. We can talk about that later in this room, but I urge everyone to look at that list. Most of them you'll know explicitly some you won't you'll know implicitly but i really urge you to uh keep that list in mind review it anytime you hear some bs doesn't sound right being thrown at you or uttered in a twitter room call them out on it i mean we had this, i don't want to dig it up but we had this really unfortunate ex- ex- incident the other day fox referred to it where three aces was buried by some people very unfairly for exactly the reason he cited he three aces was trying to help the people in the amc room by giving his best judgment on this on this crazy gold gold mine that amc had bought and rather than being appreciative of what his input and they can disagree with him that's fine the next thing you know they're trying to dox him they're trying to bury him and they're engaging in an ad hominem character assassination making false claims about him and when the accusers were asked to be specific and and, and one of them even came in the room and they said well you know three aces that tried to squeeze money out of this guy that guy this guy and so i tried to be the sort of fair adjudicator or judge to the whole thing i said okay well one could you please tell us your name he wouldn't answer And then more importantly, when you said, well, could you please give us one example, like like just one person who's come forward, who's possibly been the victim of some scheme by three aces, who's been approached by three aces, could you name just one? Well, you know, I've heard this person, I didn't give me permission to talk, blah, 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 blah. I mean, here it is. Three aces is having an integrity attack. Vaguely and anonymously people tweeting out stuff about him. And then when confronted, the accusers, you know, had nothing to say, lights on nobody home. I mean, do people have no morality, no ethics whatsoever? I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much today, but just just to mention it in passing. I mean, it's just outrageous what goes on on Twitter. So yes, people are entitled to say what they want. They can say it anonymously as you can on Twitter. But what they forget is that incumbent upon you is the obligation, the moral obligation to speak the truth. And, yeah, to, not they, talk, and, and to not talk crap about people. Go ahead, Matt Cox.
3: They accused him of, of some pretty serious crimes. Um, and I've done that before to other people, but I've always had data to back it up. Like, if, if I accuse someone of something, you know, some high level crime, like, I'll have data. Like, I'm not just taking that out of. You know my rear end or something so they didn't have any data that was that was that was done in Kruger Kruger in effect Like you saw that they had very limited knowledge about mines and Yeah,
0: yeah, totally Matt Cox. I mean Matt Cox imagine if I came on And I'm tweeting out about you I'm like, you know what you're a pedophile You've assaulted women You're a drug dealer. You've been stealing money from your customers blah 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 blah, okay? Those are some pretty outrageous things to say. And then, and then, so someone says, "All right, we have to stop this. We have to settle this." Bobby J says, "I know, I know, Matt Cox. He's a friend of mine. He's a good man." So you know what? Let's have a sort of the court of public opinion. Bobby J is going to host a room. You're going to appear, and the accuser appears. This is what I tried to do for Three Aces. So you appear and, and, and I appear. I'm the accuser. And then Bobby J says to me, Okay, okay, what's your real name? And I don't say my real name. And it's like Bobby J Bobby J says, Okay, well, you know, you're saying some pretty serious stuff about that, this guy. Could you please give us some examples? Well, I don't know, I've heard this guy told me, there's rumors, I read a tweet on the internet, yada, 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 yada. I mean, seriously. Seriously. And I don't know if the people doing this, I think in some cases, probably in most cases, it was done with malicious intent for the reason you cited, because three aces had been in an AMC room a few days earlier. They didn't like what he had to say about the gold mining company. But that may also be accompanied with total ignorance on the part of some of these people. Their lack of education or lack of ethics to be able to say such stuff. It's just just not the way I come from. It. I don't think any person of good of good conscience would ever think of saying such a thing, but that's what these AMC apes did, and I'm just not going to put up with it. Bobby J, you want to say something?
2: Yeah, thank you. I mean, um, I'm glad you stepped in to do that. And by the way, this is happens in real life all the time. Um, I was in a position of of doing that with a very big and powerful group called the short Hills little league. And they were out to lynch uh, a couple of the coaches. And I did the same thing. People signed petitions and uh, one of them was a Goldman partner who signed a petition, called him up, Dave, did you see this happen? No. Why did you sign the petition? Well, somebody asked me to, I mean, you know, I'm glad you did that because, and people should take heed uh, that, um, you know, it's, it's just, very disappointing that that could happen thank you for that Bobby and and I would ask everybody
0: in the room and there's I mean, only 350 people here if you see something like this happening on Twitter call it out I mean because like it's just I mean the answer is not censoring people on Twitter I mean we all cherish um, the, the 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 ability to have free speech and I'm a fierce proponent of that but with that comes an incumbent responsibility that you speak the truth and that's what these unreal, unruly hooligans uh, don't seem to understand or respect. So anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole much further. So um, let's go to Weimar and then YS. We- Weimar, what's up?
4: Hi, uh, my real name is Simon, so that you don't think that I'm w- another bit sh- or shit coiner uh, with an opinion. Um, well, i I've- I'm listening and um, I recognize a lot of it. Um, I don't know much about this whole AMC thing, so I won't give comments on it. But I'm interested in a big, bigger picture of this because it's not just you know this. Uh, I, I I saw some tweets from Doomburg about it, but I have no opinion about it. But what so so you know I I I really don't know shit about it. So I just keep my you know keep out of that that territory. But what I can see is. Two things. Well, I've been 30 years in the market, okay? And I think there are more of us. And to to us, you know, it's, we try to explore. We try to see different views on things. We we don't want to, we, 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 we try to be uh, less wrong. You know what I mean? Less wrong. And um, then you have... If you look to how leveraged retailers are, I, I take this with with me, you know, in my mind. Sorry, my English is not that good. I, you know, I have this in the back of my, my head. When I see retailers, you know, going eight. because they're way too leveraged. And there's another category, which, you know, maybe don't have any position at all. They're just, <laughs> just, just, you know, just the old flavor. Shit. It's just, this is the Internet. And I think, I think you can judge people, especially if you've been thirty years around, who's bullshitter and who's not. But the problem is, this, this is, this is Twitter. That, that was what I had to say.
0: I appreciate those comments. By the way, Weimar, are you uh, Dutch by chance?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just because yeah, you...
0: I'm
4: joking sounds <laughs>
0: you know i have i have many dutch friends i've been investing in the netherlands since uh, the mid-80s i can hear it loud and clear if you said no dutch then i was gonna say you're danish but it sounded dutch to me <laughs>
4: okay well thank you <laughs> by the, the way well, you, are, really, are, you, are you
0: in <laughs> the netherlands by the way sorry what did he say are, are you in holland right now are you in holland right now yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah. little. Could you just share with us? This is we're going in a different direction now with this question, but yeah. you sound like a smart guy. And I'm just curious your input, especially probably since most of the people in this room are from North America. Could you yeah. just give us a little bit of insight of what's happening to energy prices in your country, whether you buy gasoline at the gas station or your electricity bill, and then oh. what is the, what is the attitude of the government, and then also are the people starting to get angry about this so just give us give us maybe yeah, a few minutes about yeah. what's going on with energy in your country Thank yeah, you
4: yeah. I, I find it so interesting to, to watch the exact same thing at, across the aisle uh, as well so that I can this, this resonates with me uh, also the other way around. well let me uh, in, in, in in Europe uh, government is pretty big uh, you know there's a lot of government spending. Uh, welfare states, so we are used to have to pay high taxes on oil at the pump. Uh, so if you if we talk just at the pump, that's a, of course a totally different world than the energy world. But okay, at the pump, we are used to high prices. I think, uh, and, and, and 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 we are, you know, price takers. Yeah. You you have shale. You had chill, but, you know, he uh, fucked it all up. Sorry if I put it like that. And, well, I'm really, like, cringing how, you know, I see Biden. I don't want to disrespect any of your politicians. I think all all politicians are equally bad um, to begin with. But... um, I see Biden, you know, going to uh, shopping uh, with Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Already, is pissed because it tries to make the deal with, um, you know, the nuclear deal uh, with uh, the United States. Uh, these, you know, this 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 is the the Middle East nest, you know, the hornet's nest. But we we come, we are in different position. So we already had always had high prices i think well personally uh the problem with this is now and i think many don't see it yet you have seen these prices go up more uh, faster so um and there's also a difference in holland for example uh, i can just only speak for my country i think uh, i'm not knowledgeable enough about the whole of europe in my country, um, it's a highly dense, dense population. It's very dense. People live very short distance to each other. So it's like India. You know, they're the second densest populations in the world. It's a very tiny land I live on. So it's you know it's insignificant in the world if you don't know where. Holland lies, I, I mean, uh, I can understand. It's like a breadcrumb somewhere in Europe. Um, it's a good economy. People, um, we, have, you know, we have a lot of mistakes. We have way too high mortgages. There are a lot of things you can complain about, but there's one thing why I think it also hurts us less. And it's because we have a fairly big middle class. Uh, if you look to the, to the history, of, you know how uh, the middle class classes changes uh, changed then ours is one of the least to be affected it it is affected you know because of all kinds of uh, dynamics that also plague other countries only it plagued much less so so I think that too is one a bit of an explanation that that's not the but you hear people about the prices, but there, you know you're no, you know there's no civil war coming, you know? There's yeah, yeah, no, so so
0: yeah so Weimer, let yeah, losing. Yeah, Weimar, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So how much just ballpark. How much when you go to buy gas at the gasoline station, petrol, yeah. whatever you call it. So two questions. One, how much has petrol gone up? And I realize in Europe maybe it didn't go up as much because the taxes are such a high percentage of the price. Yeah. That maybe the percentage increase in the in, in, in the total price is not so much. For two questions: one, how much has gasoline gone up at the pump? And then two, what is happening, say, to your uh, power bill for your home, whether it's electricity or natural
4: gas or oil? Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, if if I only talk about my situation, uh, it's it's you know I I'm pretty much not so much affected. But it also has to do with that I live well 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 be be, uh, within my means that because I want to put my money at work so um, so I you know I I I live very economically yeah Um, um, yeah but but but, but,
0: right for instance do do you have a car do you want a car
4: but but, but I I will will say what it means Uh, like um, price has gone up maybe yeah, we have different. We have different uh, measures. Huh? Uh, you have gallons. We have liters. So sorry, you know, I am not that good. If I can make a it's, presentation. It's, but but it's, and Denmark just... is up
0: hundred uh, percent in one year.
1: Yeah, really? so wait, versus... hold, hold,
0: Weimar, Weimar, just hold, Weimar, hold on for one second. I'm going to mute you. Mute yourself. So, Mount Cox, could you, if you go to buy gasoline at the pump, how much at the pump have gasoline prices gone up, Mount Cox? About about a hundred
3: percent. Okay.
0: And for the average Dane, their heating bill, whether it's natural gas, oil, whatever it is, electricity, nuclear, how much have you how much have you, electricity bills increased, Mt. Cox? It's
3: it's about the same on all those three it's like Hundred percent on one year. And
0: okay. That, that, that's oh, the situation. Okay. All right. in, okay. Uh, okay, that's helpful. So so um, hold on one second here. Um, so Weimar, you can unmute yourself. Mt. Cox at a hundred percent in Denmark. What would you say in the Netherlands, Weimar? Weimar? I don't know where he is. Okay. Um, all right, so 100% Mount Cox. Wow. And so, Mount Cox, let me ask you. The Danes are pretty mellow. Um, you know, are they, how, if at all, is the public conversation changing in Denmark about all this green stupidity and the fact that, you know, the, the power prices are up so much, the energy prices have increased so much. What is the conversation yeah. changing? Is the conversation changing? Even before uh, Ukraine got invaded,
3: Parliament was talking about uh, giving 300,000 households $500 to cope with the heating bill. And that, that was pretty much going to get passed before the crisis. And that, then you had Ukraine on top, and oil kept going up. So that was in December of last year. They started talking about that. Um, then ukraine happened i'm like i mean they might do it like a thousand like i wouldn't be surprised if low-income danish households uh, received a thousand dollars for the heating bill uh, like one like a helicopter
0: payment right so 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 this is when we talked before you know about emergence of fiscal more fiscal policy yesterday there was talk in the room you know about and with those discussion about universal basic income it's all the same thing it's all fiscal stimulus being used to offset the impact of higher energy prices. Uh, but let me ask you a slightly different question, Mt. Cox. Is anyone in Denmark starting to rethink that maybe this whole green thing like, is nuts, like maybe we need to have nuclear or natural gas, or are people so, got their head up their ass so much on the green thing that they, they still are drinking the Kool-Aid about the, the need? No, to they're the green. still
3: drinking the Kool-Aid. Unfortunately, we're not there yet, where you know they probably have to go through this period where they're, they're trying to transition away from oil completely. So they they're trying to go full electric. Like we have Maersk, the biggest shipping company in the world. That's a Danish company. They divested all their oil like 10 years ago. Then you have uh, something called Dong Energy. They also divested all their oil. So D- Denmark has divested their oil many years ago, and they're trying to go on this green transition. But they don't realize that they are causing the price to go up. Yeah,
0: and Mark Cox, what's crazy? Even in Germany now, where you know there were plans to decommission it. You know, all the remaining nuclear plants, nothing that's happened so far has, has discouraged them from, from changing their past. I mean, to me, it looks like full-blown economic
3: suicide. It's also because the politicians you have, they're not, you know, economic experts. Like, they have experts telling them stuff, but, you know, you, they have to be told this shit. They, they can't figure it out. Like, they're not, uh, not like people
0: in this room that can,
3: you know, put two and two together. I get to it. Uh,
0: okay, so hold, hold it, Malcox. So, Weimar, could you answer the same questions as at Mt. Cox? He said he said gasoline prices and and, and, and electricity bills basically up a hundred percent over the last year. Could you answer that question? Maybe yeah. not for yourself, but but more generally for a Dutch person, what does it
4: look like in the Netherlands, please? Well, well, um, I, it's fine if you call me Weimar, but I'm Simon. But that that no problem. Uh, Thank
0: you. No, I, I'd rather call you Simon. I just forgot your name. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah,
4: no problem, no problem. Um, well. Actually, the, the, the energy bills are way, way way higher than 100%. I, I will give you um, for an example. Um, I took a fixed a fi- four-year fixed uh, contract, so I, it, will, it will end uh, probably uh, uh, um, uh, next year. Um, but for example, you can't make any long-term contracts anymore because the prices go so bananas, that there's no energy um, contractor that wants to, uh, you know, um, have uh, fixed contracts anymore. Um, so that's one. Two, how much? Well, I would say 300%. Um, and with... Uh, uh, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on, just repeat Sorry? that. You Do you mean electricity prices are up 300%? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah gas and electricity yeah the whole the whole the whole bill yeah 300% so people who used to pay 200 euros now have 600 euros I'm not and
0: is this become a big enough issue in the in, in the public square that people Yeah started, well, we'll, well talk to what's the reaction of the populace oh, to
4: this Oh oh it's 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 well i i'm i, I agree so much with the danish guy sorry that I'vemount uh, uh, Cox um, the politicians well what their answer of course is that they will monetize debt to give re- relief <laughs> I mean come on so uh, I you know it's very difficult because you have always different schools of economics about what causes inflation is it you uh, know, uh, 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 cost push or is it you know ocean or whatever? I, I leave it. You know, I don't want to go into the acad- uh, academics of things, but I think we all can agree that if you have a, a debt trapped economy, and that uh, whatever causes the inflation, it might be welcome to get the the debt the uh, the debt down in real terms, and. That, so you know, uh, it's a problem when you when you are up for an election and script night, right? So so, yeah, so Weimar, but, let but, me interrupt. You. so we we get here in Europe. The problem is, I think that less people understand um, how fucked up we are. Or,
5: so, or, so yeah,
0: Weimar, Weimar, let me ask you. And this is both Weimar and, and Mt. Cox, We got the European contingent up here. Weimar, you first, and then Matt Cox. What about the attitude of the average man in the street with respect to the Ukraine, um, whether they side with the Ukrainians, the Russians, the U.S., NATO? I mean, are, are people – I mean, we, we had – I was talking to a French friend a couple weeks ago. Huh? And he's like, you, you go out for dinner in Paris and, like, all the restaurants are booked. You never know there's a problem, blah, blah, blah. Then I read some economic data – Surveys are collapsing. People are worried. Blah blah blah. So, 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 when you see what's going on, a is it having any effect on the economy there? And then b, what is the attitude of the typical Dutchman towards the situation, and how do they think it's going to be resolved?
4: Well, I think a typ- typical Dutchman is a bit like a typical English guy, you know, optimistic. So uh, we get some shit, but somehow we get our we get our act together, and you know we'll we'll uh, we'll deal with it but um, and I also think uh, but maybe that's overly optimistic but most we have less less politicized media I don't say we have good media but we have less you know if if I just will give you one big 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 explanation how we are different in the US for example or in UK you have two basically two parties. Okay, maybe, you know, Libertarian Party as well, but basically you have two parties. So if the one says um, yes, the other says no, and otherwise. You know, that's there's, there's, there's that's, that's a, that's a whole... I always make the joke a two-party system is just one party away from a one-party system. But now I will give you the shocker. We, in Holland, could choose from 38 parties. We have 21 parties in parliament 21 so that's a lot of voices so our media you know they can't say well okay i'm republic and the other is democrat it doesn't work with that many parties so we have a lot of choices so that gives it gives not because we are so much smarter but it gives uh, us maybe a, a, a more uh, multi multiple angle views on things so we we don't go bananas about you know uh, the other guy because there's not one other guy there's many and and we all and all these parties have to wheel and deal with each other so they can't you know uh, throw mud at each other because they have to make deals together because there no one has one you know majority and this is complete. it, it, it will look like like a, a, you know a bureaucratic tea party but somehow <laughs> Somehow it functions and somehow it doesn't. You know, so it's a totally different political landscape, and it means that we have a different a different media culture. It's there's most Dutch, you know, don't trust media. Um, So that that sense, it is not different, but that's not because uh, there is politicization. It's more because there's propaganda. You know, uh, the government, we have state television and. You know, I, I I haven't watched television for nine years. You know, I, I get my sources everywhere everywhere else. I would just pay for good good uh, good uh, journalism. But uh, I think uh, we are not outraged. We we also have less wokeism. Sure, we have wokeism, but it's not. You know, we don't have. We have a lot of. We have different different divisions. I think we are mostly divided by. Uh, uh, COVID policies, um, and 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 you know, uh, and 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 but it's not so deep,
1: right. know, yeah.
4: yeah. So 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 but so so. We're we not that fucked up yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, Viemar, I appreciate that, and I want
0: to get, yeah. I want to get, I want to get the view from Denmark. I want Malcox Cox to weigh in, but just one thing. Yeah. It sounds like your uh, Simon, your two cents, yeah. sitting from where you are, and you pay attention to what goes on in the states. You yeah. think it's the fact that we have this two-party system where both sides are so entrenched? If you were just to say, if you could redesign the U.S. political system, you think we need another party?
1: Is that, well, is yeah. that
4: what you? you know, yeah. What, but what I think would be best if, and maybe this is very political to say, but if the constitution is more uh, paid more honor to because we have a very nice constitution, as it as it was, and maybe there are things that you know are you know are difficult but uh, well that's that's you know nothing is simple but i think it would be a great a great improvement if americans you know for example if you if you um think uh if you have opinions which won't fit one party and i think many you know some people, maybe, you know, they, they're they're born like uh, I'm a Democrat and uh, my dad was a Democrat and I, I understand it. But if you have people, you know, who think for themselves and just think about all the, the complex societal issues, that they may have opinions which won't fit in one party. And if you just have two parties, then you have to cram a lot of stuff you you're not
0: really you know sign in for in yeah no i know it's a really good point so hold that hold stay on stage if i hold that so yeah. matt Cox matt Cox going back to the question the question was what's going on with ukraine and russia and you know i asked simon for his for the dutch view now i'm going to ask you for the danish view how you know who's who it's i mean so, I've, been so, fr- I've been surprised quite frankly i've been surprised quite frankly going back a few weeks ago so there's um, yeah sorry you, you go ahead go ahead Mark Cox go people
3: the people I speak with they don't know what to trust because there's so much disinformation on both sides you know everything on Twitter is you know seems like being manipulated so it, it's hard to know what what data to trust that's being shared on Twitter but definitely it doesn't seem that anyone I know uh, supported the invasion like they either support Ukraine or they're just very critical. Like I, I'm kind of cynical in nature, so I'd, everything I see, I'm kind of like, is, is that really true? Like, is that is that picture of a Nazi, uh, not Nazi Ukrainian? Is that real? Like stuff like that.
0: And what about how do people in Denmark view the the United States and NATO's involvement in this whole thing?
3: Uh, I, I don't think there's really any uh, any view on that in relation to Ukraine and Russia. They're more kind of paranoid that you know a nuke might come over, like Putin. uh...
0: Right. Okay, so let me ask a question a different way. Sorry, a different question. Before this all happened, what was the Danish attitude towards Russia, and how has that changed?
3: I mean, uh, the educated people, or... (laughs) Like, I I know a guy who did study abroad in Russia, and no offense to anyone here if they're Russian, but he he explained it like, the Russian culture, it's like, uh, you, you try and see who can... Out alpha each other, like who can out scam each other, and Putin is just the top guy. Like he's the best one to swindle the rest. Like that's how my my friend, who actually kind of likes Russia, that's how you describe the the whole culture. I, I'm sorry if I offended someone that's Russian in the audience, and and please correct me. But that's kind of the general gist
0: of the Russian mentality. I appreciate that. All right, let's move on. And please, if you have a question, I see. A I have a question. Questions.
2: Is that yeah, a- yeah,
0: yeah yeah Bobby yep. Jay, what's up yep, yep for our before.
2: European friends
0: how many
2: refugees do you think Europe will realistically assimilate and okay. how many will they have to turn back?
3: My niece is uh in her school they're getting one Ukrainian in each class so she's gonna go and collect a Ukrainian tomorrow that's going to start in school on Monday so they're getting uh, at least in that town. Uh, they're getting we're getting a lot of ukrainians in the school system right
0: now
2: no but i mean is there going to be 10 million coming in 15 million 20 million
0: i mean i mean bobby jay it's a hope question, cause, yeah. So hold on one second i think they've been talking about what there's like three or three and a half million refugees so far so i guess the question is mount cox do you think the europeans and denmark's a small place so maybe you want to speak for europe as a whole but do you think the the danes and for that matter Europe writ large is going to take in a lot, a, a lot of refugees. I think that's the gist of no, question. It, it's
3: in Europe, Sweden has always had the view of being like uh, open for everyone, so they've taken everyone in for many, many years, and uh, they, they kind of view the Danes as kind of Nazi in a way because we're kind of closed with our borders. We don't really like letting too many people in, so they view us as Nazis. Like, and, but they, they will we'll take some, but we won't, you know, open the, the floodgates. That, that won't happen in Denmark or Norway.
0: Like,
1: it's...
0: Thanks for that. All right, let's bring some others into the conversation. I haven't spoken yet. Who And anyone else who's in the audience who wants to speak, I see a lot of friends there. Raise your hand. i love to have you up, the more the merrier. So we're going to go to my good friend, Gilberto, first. Uh, and then we're going to do YS. Gilberto, good to see you. What's up?
6: Hey, George. You want to hear something that can teach a lesson to the United States from the Dominican Republic? Yes, please. So... 2003, Dominican Republic, we had a bank crisis. Our internal debt went 2x. What happened was that the International Monetary Fund came to the Dominican Republic and gave us the receipt for high, high, high inflation. Basically, the Dominican Peso pushes power, plummeted less than half, and oil, gasoline, food prices skyrocketed. The supermarkets were called house of terror, and the economic activity just ceases to exist. What happened to the psychology of the population was that people didn't trust about what was going to happen in the short-term future. So they lay off workers, people lost their job, and the interest rates went to 40%. The dollar went to, when it begins, we had one dollar for 25 pesos, and it went to 60 pesos for one dollar. What United States can learn about what happened to the Dominican Republic is that what they can expect in terms of Putin's power of the people that works in the low and middle class is that they, they are going to go like in hibernation. They're they going to go, they're going to cease to try to start new jobs, start new enterprise, start new businesses. And when you start to see the food price, and the, the trigger was food prices, was not gasoline. Because people, you, uh, there's many ways to get to, the, to their jobs. And now on with the digital environment and you know work from home i don't think that it's going to be the oil prices that are going to break the economic system it's going to be the food prices and when whenever you start to see the food prices taking a more a, a bigger stake in the consumers spending monthly payment allowances that's the that's the the best signal to to start like watching to to jobs jobs creation because people will prioritize low expanding and in in new employees versus staying like in a hi- hibernation state until everything goes through fast forward 2 years after that recipe came in Dominican Republic recovered and started to grow at an 8% yearly uh, rate. And they call it the Dominican miracle. I don't call it miracle. I know that what happened was that when they rate, when they take the interest rates to 40%, people just took all their money and put it in central bank bonds. And that's when the economic ceased to hyperinflate. And what I am seeing in the United States is the beginning of the beginning of that process. And that's the lesson uh, I can share with you. Gilberto, that
0: was brilliant. Totally brilliant. So let me ask you, even though you're in the Dominican Republic, and I think the story you tell is very relevant, from where you sit, do you think the United States is going to go down that road? In other words, again like Bobby J says, watch their, watch the hips, watch what they say, not what they do. And the longer the Fed, you know, J pal is a man without a plan. They're still growing the money supply by whatever they have no plan. It's all, it's all crisis management. And the commodity markets are speaking with their, with their feet. And so from where you sit, from where you sit, given that we're, we're not taking the medicine, um, and, you know, and again, and you're very modest, but but your comments have been so on point the last few months that we've known each other. From where you sit, what's your best guess looking at the way things are playing out in the U.S.? I mean, at the top of the program, I explained. I think you know prices are going to continue to skyrocket, and the one thing we're not going to get. You look up to the title of the room. Goldilocks is missing in action. Okay, there, there's an APBF for Goldilocks. Goldilocks is dead, dead. You're either gonna have runaway inflation or the only way it's gonna be cured is we get a recession. Flip a coin, take what you want. It ain't good for stocks either way. What's your own opinion?
6: Well, the the differentiation the, the different the thing that the Dominican Republic from, of course, many things different Dominican Republic from the United States. But what I think is gonna play differently is that when emerging markets feel the pressure of inflation, they buy dollars. To hedge themselves, and the uh, the demand for dollars around the world is going to skyrocket in in the same way than the imp- the the products uh, go higher. So what I think is going to happen is a delay effect of the same of the same of what I have uh, portrayed. The United States is going to have some kind of what I just told, but it will be not only slower, it will be maybe not, slow is not the, the right way to portray it. It's going to be bumpiest because we felt it like in a straight line. And you, what I think it's going to happen is that the demand for dollars will keep rising through this period and that will make like, that will play a situation on the global companies of the United States that they will pushes purchasing power from right. the glo- global population that will not afford to buy those products right, from the right, United right, States.
0: All right, so Gilbert, so hold on for one second. You, you are the smartest guy in the room. I'd like to have the chart life come up here if you can. I don't know if he's in a place he can talk. But the chart life, John Roke, one of the best technicians on the street, a great thinker as well. Uh, I just participated in his weekly webinar yesterday, and again, he was reinforcing his call on higher uh, interest rates and higher um, commodity prices. So if we have rising yields, rising commodity prices, and we get a rising dollar, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> last time I checked, those are all negatives for the stock market in a huge way. And, you know, I'm, I'm very bearish, and, and I think people are just missing the macro uh, which is going to just totally blindside people. I mean, listen, markets go from one thing to the other. They often can't focus on more than one thing at a time. Uh, you know, one day it's Apple's earnings, the next day it's Russia, the day after that it's the dollar, the day after that it's the oil price. And there's this huge hurricane that's been developing, when I, I just, a tsunami where I just think people don't real, fully appreciate what's going on. I thank you for those comments, Gilbert. Please stay up there. I want Weimar as a quick follow up, and then we're going to go to YS. Weimar, do you want to say something?
5: Well,
4: I, I want to, uh, to thank for the insights of, of uh, this guy from the Dominic uh, uh, Republic. Um, because, um, well, if you have, uh, maybe you have uh, listened to Luke Groman, um, his uh, Force from the Trees uh, company. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Simon. We, yeah. who, 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 Simon, who are you referring to? We listened to whom? I'm sorry. Um, I, I was uh, Luke Roman. I, I listened uh, listened to. Oh L- yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. Luke
4: Luke Roman. Yes. ahead, yeah. oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, well, his he's from the company uh, Force from the Trees, and his approach is basically um, uh, in line with what uh, this guy from the, the Dominican Republic says. Because what he basically says is that we, did gets misdiagnosed what our problems are because our problems are now more uh, FIAT, uh, fiat, currency, currency related, which we you know aren't very well known to the U.S. But- yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Luke, if I may, sorry, If I may interrupt, I read something. I don't know if it was from him or somebody else. I read so much stuff I can't remember.
1: Yeah. Maybe it was well, Jesse Felder.
0: Maybe hold on, hold on. Maybe it was Jesse yeah. Felder. I can't even remember where I read it. Someone was making the point, and and maybe you want to respond to this very or maybe, Gilberto, you want to come back on this, but the idea that the U.S. economy is starting to look more and more like an emerging market economy.
4: Yes, Yes. that's that's his idea. And, um, well, it's very easy for people to say it will go this way or that way, Um, and it's very hard to listen to people who say, ah, I see probability that we get on that path, and then the Fed will respond, and politicians will respond, which typically economists never get because economists always think from theories. And if you look back to financial history, it will inform you that politicians do stupid things that never work, but they do it anyway because it somehow serves their, 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 their. their you know, getting elected. So I I see all kinds of things that might happen that make. Make it go in another way, but on the long, you know, the long term, I agree with this this path. But I'm, you know, I can't say, you know, I'm 100% sure but I can never say this. So, but I, I have, I think what Luke Roman gets right, but I also see Bond guys, you know, saying, yeah, what, what, where, where's the inflation coming from? You know, I don't see it. Yeah, we. You saw, uh, you know, then you get some monitors for you, you know, you saw the aggregates uh, going uh, zoom, you know, uh, sky high. um, And and now we have inflation. That's one one way to look at it. The other says, well, and that's Luke's Luke's point, but there are still people saying, ah, I don't see it, which is that the true uh, interest expenses of the U.S. is now now going uh, up. And the uh, tax innings is going to decline, and that the difference uh, which used to be borrowed, which caused the US uh, to go from beneath 100% uh, uh, debt to GDP to 130% of uh, debt to GDP, which is call, uh, called a debt trap. And uh, what uh, now that there is this. Um, they don't borrow the difference anymore more uh, between uh, the gap between uh, true interest, interest expenses, expenses and the tax innings, but now they print it, uh, they debt monetize it to be more precise. So that's Luke Groman's perspective. And there is a seed, a seed for this kind of emerging market uh, way in managing money. Um, namely, that you don't have many options and only have hard choices left. Well, I think, I think, if it's not, if you can see it right now, you can see it happening, because the problem is that hard choices are refused and hard choices. Yeah, yeah, no, no, hundred percent. Yeah, no, Weimar, I want to
0: interrupt. I mean, I want to interrupt. Yeah, yes. Of course. interrupt? Yeah, of course. The politicians will never make hard choices, and that's the yeah, way it exactly. rolls. So, so, exactly. so, so the, the markets have to, have to act. All right. Let, let, exactly. let's bring someone. Let's bring someone else in the conversation. Yeah, YS, course. Yeah, YS good, to, good to see you again, my friend. What's up, YS? Are you there?
7: YS? Hi, George. Yes, I'm here. So a couple of comments, and I have a question from Mount Gox. I wanted to kind of bring the conversation a little bit back towards uh, the Dunning-Krager effect. So first is his friend who went to Russia. It's spot on. One thing about anyone in Eastern Europe and Russia is that the people that have been so broken and demoralized for generations that there's this DNA generational memory to be a cynical person who only operates short-term. So I was always surprised coming to the West how people over here think of Putin as some kind of genius playing 4D chess. Uh, He is not. I mean, maybe in one particular narrow aspect where he's a top dog over there, yeah, maybe fine. But if he was really that smart, would Russia really, with all the endowment of resources and people, been struggling that much for the last 30, 40 years? Uh, they're completely dependent on technology from the West. They consume, all the people who make any kind of money there consume imported goods. Uh, if it wasn't for gas and oil and maybe gold and diamonds, they wouldn't have much. Their demographics are terrible. This is, again, a reflection from their cynicism. They have one of the highest al- alcoholism rates. Uh, they are losing population. Anyone who's offered a visa to immigrate will probably do so. The United States can end this conflict probably by offering people who can be vetted and pass a security check visa to go to Texas or really anywhere else. So they're operating from a very weak position. And I think that's part of the motivation behind Putin acting now, because if not now, when? His choices are not great now, but they're only getting worse. Um, So that's just an observation when it comes to that. And I think that's part of the reason why they're struggling so much with the war, because the Ukrainians are, defending their own territory and they have the morale to do it. The Russians are doing that because Putin told them to. Um, there was a story yesterday very revealing how um, a group of army men basically killed their own leader, ran them over with a tank because they were upset about how the war has been conducted and how many of their fellow um, army men have been uh, sacrificed. Um, so that, that, that that's when it comes to that. Um, about the Dunning Kruger, I, I think it's it's fascinating because I think our financial market currently, with giving democratized access to people, it, it's kind of reinventing what happened with social media. And even before that, if you think about the, the, the printing press, what happened initially when the printing press was invented, it's not that everyone all of a sudden became well educated and all this bliss and knowledge got spread out. No, it started a hundred year bloody war because now everyone had an opinion, everyone could express it. There was chaos ultimately that worked out great and i think the same thing is being recreated now with amc and gme and bitcoin and all that through apps like Robinhood and people feeling the need willy-nilly that the only way to stay ahead and, and cling on to middle class is to become an investor um yeah, and it's it's like the dunning kruger effect that was like the
3: late 90s that came out but it's actually <coughs> sorry an older idea which has been there for hundreds of years darwin said that the more ignorant you
7: were, the more confident you were. No, you I, absolutely. And, and, and this, But let, and me, you, but you let me ask you this. People
3: have been saying it for centuries. People have been no, saying no,
7: this for centuries. I'm not saying it's a, it's a flawed idea, but let me ask no, you
3: no, this. No, just add a comment. That's why.
7: Okay, thank you. Thank you, my guys. Let, let me ask you this. Well, first of all, it, it makes a little bit of perverse rationality, right? So the, the, the less you know, the more it kind of makes sense. The more you know, the world is complex and messy, right? So, of course, you're going to be more confident the fewer data points you have. Two points make a line four scattered points make nothing right unless they, they, they line up nicely so and the other thing is that people falsify preferences there's a good academic paper in a book by uh uh timur kuran who basically was looking at the soviet union and, and the revolutions 89 and he was talking about people's uh, falsified preferences so people falsify the preferences out loud based on social pressure and then. You don't really know underneath how many people are very close to flipping a switch. And if there's some kind of social coordination mechanism, all of a sudden you see a revolution, whereas before none was uh, apparent, right? So many people were surprised when the Berlin Wall fell. And that's exactly what happened. People were like, well, how did how did that happen? No one realized how fragile the system was. So a lot of those Dunning-Kruger people, um, they invest in assets that are very reflexive, right? Like the stock market has been untethered from fundamentals, Even more so with with Bitcoin. So of course they're trying to proselytize because it's a reflexive market. The more people they can convince, the more people buy, and the higher the price. So there's a perverse rationality in 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 them not wanting more information and actively trying to shut down information that goes against their the credo, right? Because that's how they.
3: Yesterday they tried to, you know all kind of criminal stuff that he'd done because he said something they didn't like. Exactly.
7: It goes to it's character like assassina- ex- assassinations. Ex- it goes to character assassination and and, uh, and they go to ad hominem attacks precisely for that reason. So it's their biggest strength and also their biggest weakness. right? And my question to you is, granted, some people indulge in that, but what do you think happens, or rather, people like Sailor or Novogratz or... Uh, Or or the pump, they have tweeted about what kind of scam Tether is. And yet now they're vociferous advocates of it. Are they just really excited about them potentially having bootstrapped the entire system based on that fraud and they just want to sweep it under the rug? Or do you think they buy their own bullshit? Or or, what do you think? At what point do you think the leadership switches? I think at this point they've been in it for so long that uh, that
3: they realize it's just a part of the way that crypto markets get pumped. Pretty much from thin air, and they just accept it and they don't really talk about it because it's not in their interest to do so.
7: So that, that's like. Do you think that they believe that this would just become a, a curiosity you know, at the inception I, of this I, I, great I asset?
3: I don't think they believe. I actually don't, generally, I don't think they believe that. That's my. I followed for a while, and these guys, they seem more like, you know, apologize to any crypto guys in here, but they're like grifters. Like they, they're just taking the opportunity to. Swindle yeah. a little and makes
0: money. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Matt, Matt Cox, so you and I go way back on this crypto thing. I mean, my two cents and just yours. I think, you know, they're they're true believers. I think they were blind initially to the role Tether was playing, and then once Tether got too big, the whole Tether problem became, you know, it, it's against their book, and so they just go along with it. But I guess my question, to you, Matt Cox, do you think? That pomp and Novogratz and 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 Sailor and these guys, I mean, we know they're true believers. I got that, but do you think they fully? And, and maybe it's a stupid question, but let me ask you anyway. Anyway, do you think they fully understand or believe that, that, that tether is, is 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 a huge problem, no. or they just don't want to say anything? Or do you think they're so drunk? on Novogratz definitely they, knows because he knows.
3: Yeah, he was the guy who caused tether to break its peg to like seventy cents because he that was the end of twenty eighteen. There was like a lot of tether "quote unquote" fud, and he was like, "Oh shit, I'm holding a lot of this tether stuff," and he just market sold the whole thing. Like that was what Novogratz did in late 2018. So he definitely knows. So he's so, so,
0: yeah, so, so he's uh, he's in on the scam basically. He fully knows. He yeah, fully I
3: mean, <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing: these other stablecoins have seen tether get away with it for so long that they're starting to do the same things.
0: Well, I I, I know, and maybe maybe there's some, I see I don't want to mention names, but. I see, I have a lot of friends in the room and there are a few in the room who, you know, I don't want to out them or dox them, but I hope they volunteer to come up and talk on this. But, you know, you're talking about, you know, monkey see, monkey do. You have one scam, stable coin, you know, tether, and then you got circle and all the rest of them. Right. It's sort of like, you know, yeah, just, just, now you oh, have hold, on, hold on, hold on, let me just be around the budget. Okay? It's sort of like, you know, fucking Elon Musk. Okay. the guy lies through his teeth, makes up shit about the order books. Blah, 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 blah. We don't have to go re- re- relive, you know, greatest hits of, of Elon Musk. And the next thing you know, you got Elon Musk Jr. You got you got Trevor Milton with Nikolai. You got the Lordstown assholes. You got Rivian, you know, all these guys. And, and that, you know what I mean? And that's the real problem of what's going on. Because the rules and regulations aren't enforced, it's monkey see, monkey do. And, and, and the whole system is compromised. And it's, you know, Charlie Munger, please call your office. You show me incentives, I'll show you the outcomes. Because Elon Musk has never held to account. You've got, he's got a lot of offspring now. And it's happening all up and down the waterfront in, the, in, in equity markets. I mean, it's like a fucking cancer. All right, here he is. I'm not, I'm going to let him, so I'm going to let him introduce himself. We have uh, Diogenes here, who's forgotten more about this I'll never know mr diogenes good to see you um i'll let you introduce yourself as you wish and the floor is yours.
8: <laughs> <laughs> i just needed to wait till a second cup of coffee george um i just want to make one comment and then i'll get off and i'm enjoying this um and that is and keep in mind you just mentioned a couple of, of people like the Lordstown guys and 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 uh, trevor milton and nicola versus elon musk and 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 some of the crypto uh issues but um One of the things I teach in my fraud course is the fact that that asset prices themselves are the best defense attorney and the most vigorous prosecutor, and that often the fraud is not prosecuted or even discovered until people start losing money in in either the security or an asset class. And that goes back to the 1680s. It is as old as financial markets. When people are making money, all of this stuff is generally overlooked um stock price bro again is about 300 years old and uh and and it isn't until the that really people begin to look at their files and understand why we're in this Uh, we're losing our uh, money and then when the obvious illegality comes back up to the fore uh they they scream politically to the authorities to do something and it's as old as is it's old as i said as the market's the fraud cycle follows the financial cycle with a leg. Um, I'm going to hop off. Uh,
0: Can I ask one follow-up before you run? Where are we in that cycle right now? Are we in the seventh inning, eighth inning, or an in extra innings, or you have no clue?
8: <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a baseball game, a soccer match, or, or a football game. Um, look, we, we've already had some revelations, right? We've had some revelations along the way, um, You know, some of the, the Wirecard, Valiant, uh, certainly, Theranos in the private sector. Um, these have been, but there were there were signposts as well uh, before the last wave of fraud in the late 90s. We saw uh, various different things get exposed and prosecuted before the biggies of Enron, uh, WorldCom, uh, Tyco, etc., which was really the last wave of corporate fraud. We had uh, we had wholesale uh, credit market fraud in the uh, GFC. But in terms of the type of fraud I think you're talking about or referring to here with an asset class like crypto and, and, and individual
0: stocks, I suspect we're, we're late in the game. How about that? Last thing, because do you, do, you and I dialogued a while back already about Tether, going back to the second quarter of last mm-hmm. year. Based on your sources, not that you have any inside information, but do you do – you, I mean, I'm hopeful that Gary Genzo will freaking do something about this. I've been disturbed. It's taken so long. Do you think it's regulatory capture on steroids, or do you think just be patient? These things take time.
8: I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I have no idea inside what's going on inside the SEC. This does seem to be an SEC that is a little bit more activist and a little bit more awake than, shall we say, the last uh, twelve years, um, where it was just asleep at the switch. I will say that, and and so you know, I think some of it's misguided. Uh, obviously, the uh, the political pressure to go after short sellers, for example, talking my own book, but it's, it's pretty silly. But, uh, but I do think that they are responsive to this. And I suspect that uh, any kind of, you know, major decline in the markets that last more than a few weeks or a few months uh, is going to increase uh, a lot of the enforcement stuff. But look, the the, the most obvious, and I've been saying this for a long time, the most obvious amount of corporate fraud is, is happening in plain sight is the aggressive use of pro forma metrics by corporations now to present their, their, their results. Um, you know, w- whether, whether you're a DraftKings, whether you're a, a Tesla, whether you're, whatever you are, the, the use of adjusted numbers has just gone crazy. Um, take a look at Block, the, the former Square, I mean, they're they're supposed to earn a dollar twenty this year. Well, they're they're actually on a gap basis going to lose money, and and so we have an awful lot of that happening in the marketplace now, where where fundamentally structurally unprofitable companies are routinely presenting themselves as profitable in all things other than their SEC filings. And I think and, and one,
1: yeah, yep, go yeah, ahead.
0: And one last question. I mean, you are very generous with your time. I hope you'll come back. But are we also not in a place now where this sort of Rube Goldbergian perpetual uh, money machine that prices are not relentlessly advancing from the lower left to the upper right. That you know the sort of reflexive nature of things whereby you know everyone lives the lie. You know, wash and repeat. No good, no harm, no foul. It's all safe sex. That 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 the inherently unprofitable nature of these companies now really becomes a thing because all of a sudden the stock options aren't worth what they were before. Blah 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 blah, and then to take it even further, I'm mean, going to jam as many as I can into this question. When you look at things like SoftBank, where you know left hand side of the balance sheet's a bunch of unprofitable garbage with Alibaba and ARM thrown in, and the right hand side of the balance sheet's a bunch of debt and equity, and now all of a sudden SoftBank's looking inwards because wait a second, I mean, I actually Masasan is the Aubrey McClendon of this cycle, all right? But but, the, but do you think? I guess the question I'm getting at, and you can answer any part of this or reframe the question as you wish that the sort of fake it to make it aspect of this is is, is seemingly that the water's draining out of the bathtub that this thing may collapse on itself well i i'll, I'll just add one other one other factor that people kind of
8: forget and what kind of ended and and i think the meme stock my own view is the meme stock run of of last january and then there was an echo again in uh, in may june and then even a a third echo uh, in October, and then now we've had another one, and each of them are a little bit less less uh, frothy. But the thing that really ended, ended all of this from a, from a, I would say, basically either rate of change or breath point of view was supply. Um, in February of last year, we had $3 billion of night of SPACs being funded, that was equivalent to the 100 percent of the entire U.S. savings rate in February of 2021 was going into SPACs, and 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 of course massive IPOs. Um, you know, Bloomberg's telling us that they're getting ready to gear that up with this last rally. Um, you know, couple that with secondaries and all of the share-based comp that that tech execs have gotten in the last three years. Um, I suspect that that. You know, the markets themselves are going to kind of work and uh, that in in the junk that's rallying, people aren't going to wait as long as they did before to uh, to register more shares or do more secondaries uh, or bring bring more IPOs. That's the way it's always been.
0: Hey, Jim, you and I are both old enough to remember when. You know, March of 2000, where were you? Morgan Stanley Tech and Telco Conference in Manhattan. I mean, I mean it's, o- it's always supply that does it. It's always freaking supply. So I think you're right. Think you're 100% right. Well,
8: that, <laughs> that, uh, thanks, George. But uh, again, it, usually it, it is supply that, that gets these things finally. And, and, you know, no amount of meme stock, thing or whatever, can, can offset the fact that a that, uh, game stock does a billion six offering. Um or or whatever I mean, if if these people want to buy the paper, the one thing I know is that Wall Street will supply it to them. Perfect.
0: Hey, Jim, we'll let you. I hope you had enough caffeine. I hope you come back. This has been great. I just want to let you know. I'm, I'm looking at this at this at the at, the, at myself at my phone. And I just see a sea of bubbles and stars and hearts popping up. So anytime you feel so inclined maybe you had a, a glass one too many a glass of wine at night or a beer or whatever feel like mouthing off you're always walking here my friend appreciate it all right thanks
9: George
8: have
0: a good weekend everybody perfect perfect hey, thank you George
9: George can yep. I ask him a question can follow just one one follow if,
0: if, if he's staying in the room that's great I don't know how long dad wants to hang around but go, go for it
9: yeah I'm still I'm here. here oh
0: <clears throat> um so I'm not a
9: uh I'm, I'm not a finance guy um not not I'm just a retail guy that just invests but I I work in the industrial manufacturing world and and the thing with nicola
0: sterling let me let me jump in so i'm not Doxy. so you, you you've said this publicly diji sterling works at parker hannifan just so you know so he's exposed to a lot of the industries that you're near and dear to your heart yep. including including solar and everything else so sterling go for it
9: thanks george the one thing i was going to mention is um coming up in may uh may 5th through the 9th in long beach is the act expo it's the basically the clean clean energy show um uh, for for transportation, battery electric, and hydrogen. There's Nicola's president is actually speaking at that. There's a ton of like p- folks in the industry that's already very upset that they're presenting. So th- you're going to have a bunch of engineers that are just going to pick apart their technology. So if you want to take a look at it from an investment, I would key in on that show because either their their technology is going to either work, or it's not. And they're going to be there. There's an hour of like, just he's presenting He's a keynote speaker, but then there's also a question period. So I just wanted to point that out.
0: Okay. Great. Thanks. Yes. Hey, Sterling, let me ask you a question. And I don't think are anybody, solar mavens are in the room, but I uh, wish Gordon Johnson were here. He's always good for barrel laughs. Uh, Sterling, when you, from where you sit looking at all the solar nonsense and, and, and all the clean energy crap, I mean, What's what are you seeing from 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 your standpoint? Like a couple of things. One, what are you seeing in the alternative energy generally? And then two, more importantly, maybe more interestingly, what I think would be really helpful to the room. Your company is exposed to a lot of industries across a lot of geographies. And increasingly, we're having supply chain problems. It's not just about things stuck on container ships in the, middle of the ocean. It's about you know all, all of a sudden like like who knew the Ukraine supplied 50% of the neon in the world? Like who knew, right? Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But in a world that's been optimized for, you know, globalized supply chains, and where you're now, you know, the, the tide's kind of going out on that, where we're deglobalizing or what you will, or maybe in certain markets where Khmer is being weaponized, this, that, whatever, you know, Toyota, I think, there's thirty thousand parts that goes into Toyota. So if you can't get one of those pieces, you got a problem. So from where you sit, Sterling says you're you're you, you could cut across kind of geographies, across industries. What are you seeing in this regard in terms of potential for disruption, to add a certain amount of economic uncertainty into the the world economy in a way we've never seen before. Sterling?
9: So, George, this neon gas, I don't think anybody, I don't think a lot of people really saw that coming. Um, I know last two weeks I've learned more about neon gas and trying to find alternatives, but um,
0: Oh, no. No, 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 no. (laughs) Now we're all going to become armchair
1: neon experts. No. So, so,
0: so, but that's, that's where
9: you're getting to because like the, the, the importance of the neon gas to the semicon industry, like it, yes, it's been there, but nobody realized, like you said, how much of that is being supported by Ukraine. And that's not something that at the moment, there's not a lot of people that have figured out how to find alternates for the neon to be able to be used in a lot of these semicon applications where you have tried and true, um, policies and procedures that you're just not going to introduce something to just a, a, as a substitute. And I think that's the part right now where like semiconductor industries will, will th- there's a thing called they'll, they'll accept the, the substitute like product. If you can prove uh, fit form and function and stuff doesn't change. However, when you're dealing with a gas, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same thing as a component or, or things like that. So I, I would keep an eye on that. I know I am like from from investment because I'm into a lot of uh, Semicon stocks, um, applied the applies and the LOMs um, of the world. Uh, a lot of their equipment is what is where a lot of the neon gases are used, um, as well as the foundries.
0: Yeah, Sterling. Sir, let me ask more generally. Could you speak to companies' activity <laughs> with respect to? Raising prices, because, I mean, I read the Evercore ISI stuff every week, week, and they got this survey in there, which it's not, are you raising prices? It's a more interesting question, which is, how do you feel about your ability to raise prices? And for 30 years, that was an irrelevant question. Now it's off the charts. I mean, companies basically feel and have an ability to raise prices, you know, writ large, and it's all being passed through. Now, obviously, you want to be a price taker, not a price. You want to be a price maker, not a price taker. So could you, and if you're not, you got, you got, you have problems, you know, with, with margins. So what are you seeing with respect to pricing, whether you want to talk about your customers or you want to talk about Parker Hannifin, or if you don't, you want to talk about your competitors, but could you speak to the pricing um, uh, environment and also what you perceive to be the ability of, of, of your customers to be able to pass on higher prices? So, George, they're not,
9: <clears throat> we're all pretty much doing it. Um, they're not price increases there are surcharges and you have to pass on oh these surcharges. i feel better now it's a surcharge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a surcharge and in order to you know it's 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 unprecedented times right that's where we keep you keep repeating yourself unprecedented times we have to pass on these surcharges Sur- The
0: right? next thing i know you're going to tell me these are transitory surcharges go on <laughs> no but it's it's almost like oh you don't want to accept your you don't want to
9: accept the surcharge will well this person's demand over here they can fulfill it so what do you want to do and you know you know how many people are accepting these surcharges a lot hundred percent hundred percent how many how yeah. many I, I I don't want to say there I'll just say it's more than half that of what my interaction is and what I my friends in other industries within the industrial segment upstream as well as downstream even the even the, I have a lot of friends in the resin material who are doing the same thing. It's just like, Hey, it's a, it's a 6% surcharge throwing out a number, 10% surcharge depending upon the material, but you needed to supply it to, you know, the, the customers that the Parker Hennepins and the Eatons of the world and the Rockwells of the world are selling to, you know, a lot of names that we've talked about in the, this, you know, your, your, your favorite guy, Elon, his products are all being touched by all of us. So if that kind of gives
0: you some insight. Yeah, I get it. All right, so hold that right there, Sterling. Hey, hey, John Rook, are you there? John Rook? The chart life, I don't know if he's there or not. All right. So Sterling, hold that. Maybe he'll come back. So I just want to get a couple... Gilbert, you have a follow-up question, Gilbert? Go for it. Uh, Hey,
6: George, I sent you a DM. I I wanted to post something in the nest. I think it will be very enlightening about what I was talking about. It's one page of the... Final report of the International Monetary Fund about how they manage the situation of inflation in, in this tiny economy, but very representative. And if you can help me to post it, because I can't do it, I send it to you by D- DM.
0: Yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to Matt Cox. I'll get him to do it. Appreciate that. Hey, hey, Jackson, do you have something to say, Jackson? What's up, Jackson? Jackson, Yeah, I up? think
10: I'm here. I think the overall sentiment, and I love these rooms, so grateful to be a part of them, um, is that the systems are broken and we've got so many issues. I wanted to ask Sterling really quick, how much of the fees and the increase in pricing is top line? Just to give you a little background, I've been with Starwood almost 20 years and you know we've increased things to the gills, but I'm just seeing a lot of top line. It's not really helping the bottom line, and that's uh, – that's, I wanted to pick his brain a little bit about that. Thanks
0: for the time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Jackson, hold on, hold on. You say it's top line, not bottom line, meaning meaning, a company will raise their prices, but then they're getting eat up on costs, so they're just right back to where they started from. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, so so again, it speaks to whether you're a price taker or a price maker. And and, and by the way, Dr. Jim Walker, for those of you who don't um, remember, we had him in the room a month or two ago, brilliant, brilliant, one of my favorite economists in the world. He had a really in- interesting uh, way of looking at this. And he spoke about comparing the ex-post to the ex-ante world that, you know, for decades, we, we, we get accustomed to you know, certain rules of engagement. And there's, there's an anchoring and the tendency to, to revert back to that. But we've had this incredible shock. And in the ex-post world, things are changing. They've changed, but they're still changing. And we don't really know what the what the contours of the ex post world will look like. And he said, for many companies, this goes to your question, Jackson. They don't even know if they're making really making any money. You know, they're increasing their costs are going up. They're increasing their prices. Then they have the whole issue. He brought in the whole concept. He he, was really interesting. He spoke about how he started his career, I think, as an auditor uh, back in the '70s. And and and, 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 and uh, Jim is one of the few guys in the room that could could relate to this because he's got as much gray hair as I do. There's this whole thing of LIFO versus FIFO accounting, and for uh, you know decades, nobody's really cared about because we've been in this great moderation, um, you know, for the for the last four decades. Well, all of a sudden, you know, whether you're using LIFO or FIFO or you know, can you replace your your cost of goods sold, your raw material inventories? at the same price now if you have to go buy it in the open market i mean we just don't know and so jim walker's point was he said companies don't really know whether they're profitable depending on how you account for it and we don't know where this is really going to settle out so i i just want to pour gasoline in your fire no pun intended but sterling you know maybe if you're still there maybe you could speak to that because you know i think jackson's point people just raising prices because they got to keep their head above water but you know, again, it, it's Wayne Gretzky. Please call your office. Go to where the puck is going, not where it is. And so I, I just think it's sort of like musical chairs, and, and, and we don't just know right now. So, Sterling, can you can you speak to that in terms of how to, this type of phenomenon is impacting companies' planning and thinking and, and how you're supposed to, to, to conduct yourself in an environment like this? So, yeah, so I can tell you what we've done.
9: Um, so I came up through, I started outside sales, but I really came up um through the product management side business development and what parker has done over the last like three to five well let's say uh pre-covid two years prior to pre-covid there was a big push for a lot of product managers to go through um six sigma lean so like even myself like i'm Greenbelt certified to be able to as you're going through the sales cycle process, be able to apply a lot of those so you can help that bottom line number to avoid a lot of these top line type of increases. So that way you have a lot more control of your costs. So the days of like the sales and manufacturing butting heads over this and that, it's more, uh, those happen, but it's more like the conversations like, this is why you have to go give them an X percent increase versus, the old days of here's your increase, pass it on if you want to get your customer products. So I've seen a lot of that, um, which is tried to minimize some of the increases, but you've had to pass the increases on as they come. You can't account for, you know, the freight companies giving you fuel surcharges to ship your products from all of like, you know, the 32 warehouses we have around the, the
10: country. So does, I, don't, I don't know if that helps answer your guys' questions. Absolutely, brother. Same thing. Because um, my example is, I'm using, you know, we're getting double, sometimes triple a room rate at the hotel, but it isn't showing up on the bottom line, George, because as I said, everything else has increased. And as he just alluded to, you know, you've got all these little back door fees, et cetera. So everybody
0: thinks that you're
10: booming, but you're
0: really not. Right. You you know, know, it's mind-boggling to hear you say it, but I can believe it. And I want to ask you, so recently, and maybe Jim or anybody else can weigh in on this, the amount of price gouging that's taking place, I mean, just anecdotes. I don't want to get caught up in anecdotes, but when you have trend uniformity from multiple sources, it is interesting. So whether it's hearing from my friends who went down to St. Bart's, who normally would would say, yeah, you know, Saint Bart's is expensive. It's kind of New York prices, blah blah blah. They reported back to me this year, it was like twice New York prices. And in particular, one of my friends who doesn't drink goes out for dinner, dinner for two, no drinks, Saint Bart's, two fifty to five hundred bucks a night. He reports the the hotel down there. I forget the name of it. it's it's Eden Rock or what it is. The hotel everyone goes to, normally eight hundred bucks a night, three thousand bucks a night. I hear reports from Aspen, Little Nell, same thing. My brother owns a place up in Vermont, used to get like, you know, a grand for a couple nights, three grand for a couple nights. And so the, there's, this, there's this, you know, pent up uh, spending, savings, call it whatever you want. People at the highest end of the socioeconomic strata have money to burn and price is no object. So revenge shopping, revenge consumption, call it whatever you want. But then for the 40% of the of, of, of the society, it's living paycheck to paycheck. Good luck. You know, it's it's like they're getting absolutely destroyed. So, Jackson, could you speak a little bit to I me? Mean, it's hard to imagine when you double or triple your prices that it doesn't show up in the bottom line. Could you could you speak to that a little bit more? Absolutely. I mean, in Miami, it's just absolutely off the chain
10: chain. And I do feel like Miami's a super bubble right now. I know everybody loves it. I've been back and forth for twenty years, but you know, it's just it's there's a lot of crypto, there's a lot of scammy um, I call it fake money. That's out blowing it up every night at the clubs and, you know, spending these rates for the hotel, but where we're not getting it, George, believe it or not, is because if I have, and I'm not in operations, I'm at, <clears throat> I'm at Starwood property trust, but just still see the numbers. You know, you can't have a housekeeper call off because there is nobody to call in. So there's that, you know, the, the comp line increases because of things not being as good. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an ultimate trick bag. And, I just, uh, I wonder how it all plays out. I don't see, uh, I don't see any uh, rainbows and uh, sunshine at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, no, no, I with you
0: know, I'm and we're going to, we, we are and gouging
10: this. and we are gouging.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, look, but you're running a business. I mean, if you got hoes, I mean, there's, you know, it's a free market economy. People don't want to pay the price. I mean, I think it's reprehensible and deplorable, but you're not, you're not running a charity. I mean, the answer is that people don't want to pay that then don't pay it. But um, I just think going back to the earlier part of this room, where we're talking about the the supply side shock on a lot of commodity areas, and you know the Fed can't can't drill for more oil, and the Fed can't grow more wheat, and and now it's morphed into the service sector. I mean, I, I just think you know how they think inflation is going to be 2.6 percent next year, whatever their forecast is. Like I don't I don't get it. To put it charitably, right? I could use some four letter words, I'd rather not. So I mean, you're just pouring gasoline on the fire. Stay there, Jackson. Really love your insights. I want to go to all Hair and then. Uh, internet philosopher who i loved his tweet this morning oh here my friend good to see you what's up
11: hey good morning george good morning guys fantastic to hear uh jim on this uh space is had a couple just a a couple quick ones for jim if i could uh he talked about uh, the kind of the resurgence of the performa uh numbers and you know one of the things that kind of we've noticed over the last few years is that 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 has been a kind of a it's it's been kind of um increasing it's 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 kind of been um how do i say like 10 years ago for instance we kind of went away with it after the gfc and then it's been steadily increasing for the last few years and you know it, it while a lot of these numbers are not you know they're not illegal it's not illegal you know per se to to use pro forma but it's borderline a lot of these things are just borderline it's like what do you it's call Is it that's you know, like, legal fraud Oh,
0: here no wait Matt cox hold on hold on oh here yeah, so i, I want to make oh here hold on hold on yeah. jim sponsored a seminar and probably i think invented the the, the, the phrase the concept of legal fraud so yes. i think you know so, so maybe so maybe i think your question is <laughs> okay. about legal fraud if generally I, we can make short shrift to this maybe yeah. jim could just speak to the concept of yeah. legal fraud is that basically your question here
11: well yeah yeah but but it, it with regard to uh, there's going to be a lot of margin pressure on a lot of companies uh, going forward with the rise of inflation. So we've had it pretty good for the last decade. Now that the, the party time's over in our, in our opinion, a lot of the names that we're looking at, that we even own, uh, they're having a lot of pressure on their margins. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to play with the numbers again. A lot of these companies yeah. are starting to kind of move things around a little bit on their, on their, on their PNLs. And uh you know, the, my question is to Jim, like we saw, you know, you go and like to your point, George, you know, 20 years ago when I started in the business in the late 90s, we saw that in the 2000 crash, right? With Tyco, for instance. All right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so, so here, oh yeah, so
0: right, here, here, yeah. just sum up with a question, please. So we can get. Yeah. So my
11: question to Jim is twofold. One, uh, does he, does he see the same thing, an acceleration away, <clears throat> away from kind of the the standard, you know, the the electric vehicle stuff that's been going on, the nonsense there, into more mainstream S and P five hundred <coughs> companies. Number one and number two. Um, well, I'll, I'll let let him answer that because that's pretty loaded.
8: But. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, so, so first of all, let me clarify the term legal fraud. And it's one of the models I teach in my in my uh, uh, fraud class. Is from Bethany McLean. That is her concept. She came up with it after Enron, and it, it encapsulates. A lot of the fraud that we see today and 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 the concept, just for those of you that don't know, is that uh, legal fraud is a fraud in which every individual action the corporation takes is legal, but yet there's an overall intent to deceive. so so enron is the is the great example, right? Because every single deal was vetted by the lawyers and accountants and signed off on by the board. And so Skilling and Lay could say, we had this vetted. Uh, but yet, as as Fastow has admitted in his uh, post-recovery speaking tour, he said, yeah, the overall intent was to deceive investors. And so it's why prosecuting fraud uh, is so difficult on an episodic basis in order to, to, to nail someone. And, and it's why almost always you do not see um, modern companies prosecuted for accounting fraud because they get everything vetted, um, but the overall pattern within the broader concept can be to, to deceive, and that's why I've been railing against the pro formas because the pro formas can be massively deceptive. And, and you know, take again my friends at DraftKings. You know, Jason Robbins and I, as I say, my BFF. Um, but share share based comp was roughly 50% of their revenue last year. (laughs) Let me repeat that. Share-based comp was roughly 50% of their revenue last year. They are guiding long-term to 30% adjusted EBITDA margins for their their betting business. That excludes share-based comp. (laughs) So... Take and, 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 and
0: no, Jim has not been drinking. Okay,
1: this I mean, is insanity.
8: And, and so, so my my point is, if that's if those are your definitions, and and then so so CNBC, remember, ever comes out and said, well, they're 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 guiding to the profitability in twenty twenty five. Well, except for the fact that they'll probably lose about a half a billion dollars.
11: So, Jim, uh, Jim, on that note, that's exactly right. So, my so, so you're going right to the heart of my question, which is this kind of shit can go on for a lot longer than we all expect i mean it's been going on for a long time it can go on for a long, a lot more a lot longer and and the reason is right because as long as investors are willing to accept these numbers as as you know the, you know as as factual right as the way to do well it, there's a there's there a, is no fraud but right? there's Unless a bigger explicit
8: but there's a bigger problem let's get to the let's get to the just to talk about sharp share-based comp you're actually paying your employees are getting you know <laughs> 30 40 50 percent of their comp in the form of shares and rsus right and if that stock doesn't keep going up you actually have the problem of having to issue more and more shares for any given amount of spc and the the virtuous cycle becomes uh the virtuous circle becomes a vicious cycle on the way back down you get massive well, dilution
11: and, and that's what that's earlier. what you that's what derailed so, it in the Post.com era. That's right, and the you know, and what you said very at the very, at the very top, which is critical, is that it all works well until the stock prices start to go down, right? So while they're rising, no one gives a shit. It's like everybody's looking the other yeah, way. Well, uh, yeah,
0: here we, we 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 agree. We I don't know how we been We spoke about the thing a little bit earlier. Total hundred percent. over here hundred percent. So you just stay there. over here because because this is great having you in, yep. in, in 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 the room with all these other smart guys. L- 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 let's let's go to Internet Philosopher. I can't even remember what the great tweet was you put in there this morning, Internet Philosopher, but I've been following you now. Loved what you said. Internet Philosopher, please unmute yourself. The floor is yours.
12: Thank you, uh, George. Thank you for paying me the compliments, Um It's heartwarming. Uh, I see we got both Socrates and Diogenes on stage now, so in the real world this would not end well. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're seeing inflation right now in the United States, and uh, a lot of people have brought up the fact that you obviously have price makers and price takers, and interestingly, we're seeing Sterling and Jackson, Jackson in two very different businesses with two very different price elasticities towards their clients. And I think who ends up footing the bill for inflation is is very dependent on you know how elastic demand is to price movements. Where we are seeing Jackson in you know the service industry where if you increase prices, you're going to see a very sharp decline in demand very quickly. They have to pick up more of the inflation bill than Sterling has to, uh, where he kind of puts a bullshit surcharge on his product and and you know uh, keeps on going. So these are one of the sort of double-edged swords with inflation. And what I think is going to happen is we're seeing a lot of these speculative tech companies who's, they're not making any return on their equity. Uh, they are bloating their balance sheet because obviously, Uh, more stuff they own, the more they're worth, right? Cash flow doesn't matter. So what I think we're going to see with higher inflation is a larger focus on return on equity directly. And with a lot of companies, especially in the United States, running their policies around buybacks as opposed to paying out dividends, um, that can create a very vicious circle because the bought back shares obviously end up as equity in the balance sheet. And that equity goes to solidity, which, again, they can use to finance the business so they can lend more money. And with low interest rates, they can lend more money than they reasonably, sustainably should be able to. So when uh, inflation increases and puts real uh, financial pressure on these businesses, they're going to uh, start to seek liquidity. And if their stocks, for some reason, tanks, let's just say, for example, Tesla has a massive accounting fraud and goes to zero. That's 1.92% of the S&P 500. That would drag the index down by about 25% in a day, meaning that all these companies would essentially lose 25% of whatever you know their own shares are as equity on the balance sheet, which could trigger margin calls from their banks, and thus the evil cycle begins. And I think future now, if you're looking at inflation and you're looking to invest, I think probably getting consumer goods producers and uh, generally the closer you get to you know commodities the less um, elasticity you're going to find in other words you know people producing food are, are generally going to keep producing food even if their cost of goods increase uh, so so I me personally I will be moving more towards uh, commodities not necessarily as an asset, but, you know, mining companies, food yeah, producers. No,
0: yeah, yeah no, you know, 100%. It goes back to what we keep talking about. You want to buy price makers, and not price takers. You want to be as upstream as you can as possible. Hey, Jim, question for you. Um, just talking again about the scam accounting and the ability to finance, refinance, access markets, value of uh, employee stock options, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm sure you saw the news. It came out in the newswire about Co2. Uh, um, you know uh, the redemption. There's only a couple, 250 million, whatever. But they had to hold some back for the privates. Blah blah blah. Um, we saw recently a few weeks ago Tiger Global uh, doing a billion dollar issue. What's the matter, guys? We're running tight on cash, etc. I look at and Jim, given your experience in financials, you always look to see where the big, the most rapid balance sheet expansion occurs. That's where the troubles ensue. And so, in parallel fashion, you look at the speed with which Tiger was 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 cranking out these venture deals to a day or whatever it was. I mean, like what could possibly go wrong? So I kind of think that there's like a big, these guys are completely stuck. There's no way out. It's, it's like pinata time. It's like a hanging curve ball. It's not going to break. And, you know, you're going to see massive redemptions. That's early days, but you know, whether it's the third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever. And, and they extent these companies all need more money their negative cash flow, you're going to see down rounds, et cetera, et cetera. And it's so, the, you know, they're the circling the drain. It's it's the, 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 it's, it, it's it's uh, reflexivity in, in in reverse. So, what part of that would you disagree with, agree with, emphasize, whatever? Just any any of your thoughts about the tightening liquidity conditions for in in, in sort of the, the la la land market, the Ponzi market?
8: Well, I mean, hedge funds have evolved in, in more ways than one, George. And and you know, hedge funds had their golden age in the, in the post the dot com era because they were short the garbage and, and long, basically long value and rode that for the better part of seven seven years. Um, and then they discovered the, the, the pleasures of leverage and ended up being long all kinds of credit stuff or, or selling premium um, in 06 and 07. And, and most of them you know, went over the cliff with the market um, and have never kind of recovered. Um, but the growth hedge fund guys now, best I can tell, have become hybrids between, you know, aggressive growth and venture capitalists, and so an increased amount of their 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 core portfolios are privates, as you alluded to, and that that to me looks like like some of the the, the mutual funds in the late '60s. For those of you that are really, really ancient like me, um, you know, when when a lot of the uh, a lot of the the go go funds juice their returns with uh, with privates and 144 stock. And uh, it ended up being their undoing in 69, 70 and 73, 74. And they basically got wiped out. Um, It's the same thing. I mean, you have you have a lot of these guys aggressively funding privates, uh, trying to take advantage of of, um, what they thought was a discrepancy. But now you have public prices below that of where the privates were last year. So you've got the inevitable markdowns and or distributions or gating, I think that's probably going to happen if it, if it isn't already happening. Um, so, you know, for funds that have 20% or I hear, I've hear i heard as high as 40% of their assets in privates, that's going to be problematic.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, Jim, it's one thing if you're running a hedge fund and you play games with the marks and you have gates, fine. But you're the CFO of uh, T. Rowe Price or uh, Fidelity. And you've got five or ten percent of one in in, in your funds to juice the returns. You know these guys, as they should, they have to err on the side of being more conservative. And you know, once that tree falls in the woods, what happens to uh, all the pension funds and other investors? You know, in terms of trying to trying to keep faking it till you make it. I mean, I I think as early George. George
8: George, it's worse than that. It's worse than yeah. that. You had aggressive growth hedge funds that were down 15 to 25% in 2021 uh, and are down a similar number, maybe a little bit better so far in, in 2022. Uh, down 15 to 25% in 2021 is a negative 40 to 50% alpha year.
0: Totally. And uh, Jimmy, it was amazing. There were some, there were some funds that escaped. It was funny. Just you know, someone, someone tweeted and I, I resent it out. You know, just when you think, you know, valuation it, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's the only thing that does matter because in a world with free money, valuation doesn't matter. But you look at those funds. I'll mention names. You you can't because you don't. You don't want to. But you look at like a Viking or some of these other ones where they actually went up to have a decent year. And then you look closely and you realize the only reason it was a decent year is some bullshit SPAC thing they put their money into and they marked it up like, and it went up like five x. And I'm saying to myself what would the numbers have looked like without that? And so to your point, I mean, you know, you know, Tiger global, I think was down 7% last year, last year. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, rumor has it, they're down 30 already this year. And, and so I, I think some of these guys, they're, I, I don't take it literally, but basically they're bust already. It's just, just give it a little bit of time. There's no way out on these things. And, and, you know, you, you take a look at, uh, I mean, Jim, I don't know, you, you, you saw, um, uh, what was it, uh, it SoftBank announced they're trying to do, like float Arm again or something like that? I mean, you know, I've done a lot of work on Soft. Again, again. by the way, boys and girls, none of this is investment advice. Do all your own work. Do not listen to me. Do not listen to Jim Chanos. Do not listen to anybody in this room. You're on your own, okay? But to me, Arm, um, you know, I was doing some work on this, and, and I just, I don't know. I mean, they want to float this. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but I encourage everyone to go take a look. At the evaluation that they're hoping they're going to get for ARM, have you had a look at that, Jim? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Again, no comment from me either. We're not. We don't want to get into single stock weeds. <laughs> Heavy <laughs> laughter. Please note. <laughs> All right. So, um, who's one? Okay, so we're going to get Ray up here. Ray Ray has a question. I think. Um, Ray, welcome to the stage. What's up, Ray? Ray. I don't know where he went. All right. Any other questions? Otherwise, I have a quick question. Hey, Yeah, go um, for it.
1: Go for it. Yeah.
2: Um, c- can you talk about the negative trend towards um, uh, negative book value? I've lost track of the number of companies, major companies with negative book value. And uh, just in following Boeing, for example, uh, there was so much talk uh, about Boeing and um, and, you know, the value of the franchise, the whole bit but very little mentioned that it uh, reached a negative book value of 18 billion. Maybe it's down to negative 14 billion. Do you have any thoughts on, on this trend and um, will it have to reverse at some point?
0: I mean, to put it, to put it in Kramer speak, Boeing has been and remains a do not buy, do not buy for me. Okay. So, you know, I think the the, the answer, the question is really even more interesting, more generally writ large than Boeing specifically. And, Bob Justice, I'm going to turn this back on you. And this is an invitation to anybody else on stage, including Jim. You know, I haven't heard this spoken about lately. But a year or two ago or three years ago, in the midst of all the QE nonsense and banks accumulating more and more uh, uh, fixed income securities in their balance sheets, people do the back of the envelope calculation, the napkin math. Oh, well, if they have X amount of bonds and the bond prices go down by Y percent, it'll wipe out their equity. Bob Justice, your first line to answer the question. You take a look what's happened to the price of fixed income securities, and, and I don't have it off the top of my head. I don't know how much the Fed owns, whatever. I mean, to- total debt outstanding is $30 trillion. I don't know. The Fed owns, what, 8 or $9 trillion or whatever the whole thing is, okay? You are on track for the worst, so far, the worst year in 40 years, if you look at where the bond market returns. So if you put pencil to paper and start figuring out how much equity, how much has the Fed lost, actually? How much has the s and lost? Um, you know, because I think the s and is quoted, actually. And, and I haven't done the numbers. I'm too lazy. I'll go, I'll go do it eventually. But Bobby J, any thought about the solvency of the central banks? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's
2: one of the reason bank stocks have been trading down. Uh, I think we reached a kind of almost a record high of treasuries being 18% of the total bank's balance sheets because we had very little uh, loan growth for for the bigger banks and almost no loan growth uh, across the industry as a whole. So, um, you know, it's not only one year, but this is going to be the first time it, since 1958, 59, that we had back-to-back years of uh, fixed income losses. So, um, I suspect that, you know, I think across the board, there's been almost um, three trillion in losses in fixed income or, or just say markdown or drawdown, whatever the current term is. And I, I think we'll see that in banks. But we're also going to see that uh, that business of the Fed writing checks to the Treasury re- reverse. But net net, since they're one entity anyway. I don't think they really care. But, yeah, you will see um, um, markdowns <laughs> in, the, in yeah, the portfolios. But,
0: but, 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 but Bobby J, more than just the, the bank stocks, I'm speaking now about the central banks. Like, you know, all of a sudden we figure out, well, the Fed just lost a billion dollars. How much capital do they had? Or, oh, the SMB just lost $500 million, five, you know, five five uh, $500 million, whatever. OK, what about the solvency of the central banks?
2: Well, I mean, they don't, I mean, they, they print, so, you know, they, um, that's, that's not going to be an issue and, you know, it's a benefit, inflation is a benefit to treasury net loss. So if you look at the net position, 29 uh, trillion in debt outstanding and, you know, eight or nine is owned by the Fed, um, you know, they're still, they still rather have higher inflation than lower inflation.
0: No, 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 we, we agree on that. No, no, no. I,
2: you will not see, you The answer is you will not see uh, I mean, you'll see political uh, pressure because now, uh, you know, it's it's reversing. And and uh, and and so far, the cost of financing is still pretty, still pretty low. But I think, you know, we'll see that going up, George. And I think the the interest expense is the bigger issue, George.
0: Okay, so, okay, so, Bobby, let's stay with that. The operative term you said so far. So 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 again, go to where the puck is going, not where it is. Okay. Let's go to interest expense. So I had this discussion with somebody else the other day. So total debt outstanding. So total sorry, the total debt outstanding is about thirty trillion. All right. So center Paribus, for a one percent increase in uh, rates. You're talking about a three hundred billion dollar increase in interest expense for the Correct.
1: government. Correct. Um,
0: I think the weighted average interest rate last year, I looked at this the other day, was something like one point two four percent last year or something like that. Okay. So we're approaching already the one percent uh, threshold, and if you say, okay, let's say your story and my story about higher rates is true, yeah, it's true. Tax revenues go up because it's nom- the economy is nominal. But what's also true, if you were to take rates, say from one, say the government's average cost of debt went from one percent to three percent, that's a two percent hit on thirty trillion to six hundred billion. That's a material amount of money. And you start looking at, you start looking at, especially in the context of, you look at the non. Um, you, you, you look at the at, at the part of government spending which is discretionary because 70% of it's not discretionary. is interest expense or entitlement, social security, whatever. So only 30% of the government uh, uh, budget is uh, discretionary. And so if you start and you say, okay, the government budget is Bob Klein, could you please mute your speaker? Um, if you say to yourself, okay, the, the government um, uh, 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 <sighs> Excuse me. Um, yep. Bob, Bobby, help me. I'm the, with the, you. No. So look at no. Bobby getting... and Bobby. Hold on. Well, what's the size of the what's the size of the government? What's the size of the, of the budget? Six trillion or something? I've lost track. Of my my mind scrambled eggs right now. How, how big how big's the budget? Six trillion? Four trillion? I can't even remember. Seven trillion. Wait, hold on. I'm pulling it up right here. Um. Or if anybody on stage so what... knows, if anybody on stage knows the answer to the question. How big was the government budget this past year? I want to say it was like, I think it's like six trillion. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's a, well, no, maybe it's five because the, the whole economy is about twenty trillion, and normally, but the numbers are all screwed up now. Normally, the government, uh, federal government budget runs about twenty-two percent of total um, GDP. So, twenty-two percent of twenty trillion is four and a half trillion. But then it was more because of the pandemic, blah blah blah. So I don't know if it's like. Five or six or some number like that if that's that. Jackson you know the number you know the number Jackson
10: the number that I've been using is six point seven one trillion I don't right. have it okay. in front of me but
0: yeah all right that makes sense that makes sense because what happened was it was running like four I think and then it went crazy because of the pandemic so the six seven is an overshoot so let's just say for the sake of the argument it's five it could be five or six I'm not really we're interested in actually not precision so let's call it five or six using the napkin math Bobby, the two percent increase on thirty trillion is six hundred billion. 600 that's correct. Six hundred billion on five or six trillion. Let's use six trillion because it's ten percent. It's a nice number. That that's ten percent of the entire government spending. I mean, you and keep in mind, keep in mind, total discretionary spending is thirty percent of the total. So if you say thirty percent of five trillion, thirty percent of, of six trillion. You're talking a billion, five billion, eight, you know, as Senator Dirksen ever once said, a billionaire, billionaire winds up being real money. You're talking about a delta, of 600 billion uh, discretionary piece, which is only like call a trillion and a half. I mean, you can't. I mean, it will not happen. It cannot happen. I mean, it's just the laws of economics. So the question, OK, so you may say, well, George, tax revenue is going to go up a lot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but still, I mean, there's a problem here from this. If if, when the rates are allowed to expand, I mean, look backwards. I mean, it's true debt's gone to the moon, but what's also remarkable, and you can school us on this, Bobby, if you go back a year or two ago, even though the debt was in the stratosphere, the interest expense line was really pretty low. It was only like 300 billion or some number like that because the rates were so low. So if you looked at, you know, the, and then if you you look, especially in the private sector, people want to talk about, you know, excess debt accumulation. Well, first of all, the debt accumulation in the last few years has been in the public sector balance sheet, not the private sector balance sheet. And the expense, you know, the public sector deficit is the private sector's surplus. So all that spending has been good for um, profits and good for individuals. However, um, you know, that starts to come in. And Bob, you got to help me on this, but someone was explaining the other day and I hadn't looked at it. I was actually kind of surprised. You're breaking up. Sorry, sorry. Someone had said to me the other day the deficit's coming way down because tax revenues are coming in pretty high, and that the deficit, which crested at maybe I don't know two and a half or three trillion, uh, you know, a year or two ago, is maybe going to come down to like five hundred billion. Does that sound about right to you? Talk about the, the deficit, Bobby. Is that about? Yes.
2: right? Yes, yeah. And we're going to have a one trillion dollar interest expense annual, and even the CBO did a um, projection. I guess. Uh, Last year, and they were saying that um, 20% of the deficit is going to be interest expense by, I think, 2032 or so. So you just pulled that forward because these their assumptions did not take in, you know, the increase in inflation and uh, higher interest rates. So,
1: right.
0: I mean, but so you take that observation along with the idea that in recent years, you know, foreigners are have been buying less and less of our debt. And the Fed's been having to buy more of the debt because of QE and all that nonsense. And now you're talking about increase in supply of debt. Doesn't that add up to you, Bobby, all things be equal, which they never are? So yeah, I mean, it's kind, kind of the point know, hold of hold the hold return. Hold on, hold on, hold let on. Me, let me finish the question. Let right. me finish the question. All things being equal, which they never are. Doesn't it mean you need to have higher real interest rates to attract capital?
2: Yes, it does. And, um, you know, the the argument against MMT is the mathematical argument that once you get to a point where the interest expense just overpowers um, tax revenue increases, that's a problem. Right. So we can have tax revenue increases going up 10 percent a year. But if the interest expense is going up uh, 20 percent a year or 30 percent a year, once We see these once we see the the short term uh, treasury bonds start to roll over because Michael Howell talks about this all the time. We have a debt refinancing problem, George, and that's one of his biggest theses, right? Or biggest thesis. So that's exactly right.
0: 100 percent. All right. So now let's go to just a second here. I want to recognize. Uh, marathon, Marathon, uh, good, to, good to see you again. What's up, my friend? Hey, George, can you hear me okay? You're good.
13: Great. So I actually, I've, I've done a lot of work on these longer term debt to GDP uh, uh, impacts. And
0: one of the pieces that I did
13: has just been uh, picked up and used. If you're not, if you're not reading David Hay uh, from Evergreen GavCal's Bubble, uh, Bubble 3.0, you really should. It's a really remarkable uh, piece of work. But the work that I did that he is used in that is looking at these 10 year CBO projections uh, and seeing how wrong they've been over the last 10 years, over the previous 10 years and extrapolating that out to the future. Because again, the current CBO numbers tell you that we're heading towards, you know, something north of 150% GDP at the end of 2030, you know, and close to 300% at the end of 2050. If you just look back at the last 10 years, and what the CBO estimated back in 2000 or 2010, we underperformed the GDP growth by about 20% and underestimated the debt by about 18%. So debt is growing faster and GDP is growing slower than those uh, CBO projections. Where it gets you is that, you know, 2050 is not a a 300% GDP, debt to GDP issue. It's a 500% debt to GDP issue. And that's not even taking into account the potential for a higher rates on that debt or the compounding interest on that additional debt. So the the the, the flight path from here is really, 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 really potentially treacherous. So um i will try i apologize i'm at a little league game so i don't have the ability to post that chart but i'll try and yeah, post no, it yeah no marathon
0: Mar- 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 i'm really grateful that you made that, that contribution if you could please post that that'd be wonderful will do all right hey, hey, hey thanks for that please please mute yourself all right bob, bob klein you've been up we haven't heard from you what's up bob klein hey george i just want to say it's it's really a marvel to see what's being discussed in this room it was an example of financiers uh and finance at its best i mean you good stewards of capital, really just fighting the stock promoters and calling out their accounting shenanigans. And not only that, I mean, you guys grasp the mischief uh, being perpetrated by governments in terms of inflation. I mean, this is just a prime example of just fighting for truth to protect capital, make it grow. And what we're seeing right now on Wall Street, of course, during these speculative booms is just the opposite. I mean, you've got relentless bumps and cheerleading. So I, I just want to say, just refreshing to See all the guys on this call pursuing a different approach. Uh, that's that's so, all I got. Yeah, so, 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 so Bob, I'm really humbled by your by your by, by your compliments. I have a question for you and for everybody else in this room. I'm going to come out of the closet, so to speak. So I have it in my head now. I actually want to up this game. I want to put this out as to a focus group here. So uh, anyone and everyone should should weigh in on this. So I think this type of conversation deserves a bigger audience. And friends of mine say, George, you know, you're natural for this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can be loud and whatever, but speak the truth and yada, yada. And so, you know, someone said to me, you should become like the Joe Rogan of finance or whatever. I'm not sure I want to be Joe Rogan, but that's another story. Anyway, the point is, I think the public generally is being horribly served, horribly served. CNBC's, you know, the cartoon network, as Mark Hodes calls it. Um, every time you, you, you see something and you feel like you're trying to be sold something, people are shilling crap. Everything's, you know, sales, a word, blah, 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 blah. So I'm thinking to the point now where I want to take this to a bigger, you know, we're going to need a bigger audience or whatever. And I actually, a few things, a, whether it's, you know, Spotify, Bloomberg, or if anyone has any ideas. Or any connections at any of these media outlets, where I may be able to talk to somebody. I was thinking of sending them some recordings because I have all the recordings of all our rooms to see what this is about. And in particular, what I think differentiates this—this this is me talking—but I want feedback from all of you. It's the sort of authenticity and the open platform where you know we allow a lot of, a lot of people in here to talk. But as I always say, it's not a democracy. I do shut people down because I want to keep the conversation on the straight and narrow. Those, you know, people know the way I roll. If, you, if you're talking sense, um, you know, I give you a lot of birth, wide berth. If you're not, I cut you off because it's not fair to the hundreds of thousands of people that are listening. And I also think, you know, what have I learned from 40 years of mistakes? Well, I've learned a lot. And I happen to know a lot of people. I'm able to get them to come in these rooms. And I think if we had a bigger stage, they would come on the show because it gives them visibility as well, whether it's Michael Hal or Michael Belkin or Jim Cheney. I, I mean, it just blows me away. I sat down the other day and made a list of all the people we've had in here for the last three months. I basically started doing this in, in, in December. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, and it's it's it, just people I know. And I also think it's an obligation. It's funny. I think the older crowd, and I consider myself older, um, has, been, has, has, has been canceled. And I say that not from a political perspective, but actually they've been canceled by technology because they have not harnessed Social media or Twitter, any of this kind of stuff. I mean, I wasn't really much into Twitter until like a year ago. I didn't know what Twitter Spaces was. And to try to get Dennis Garvin, it's hysterical. To try to dig Dennis, Dennis Garvin. Michael Belkin, okay, Michael Belkin, who was who, along with Jim Jim uh, Michael Green, were two were just incredible response in this room. Michael Belkin, you're gonna laugh, but but I, I'd say it to his face. Michael Belkin did not own a cell phone before his Twitter Space two weeks ago. I asked him, do you want to be on a Twitter space? Why do I want to do that? I hate Jack Dorsey. It's like, no, no, Michael, hear me. This this is gonna give you a bigger platform. This is gonna give you a way to which to be heard. So he had to go buy a cell phone, he had to find someone, to show me how to put the Twitter app on him, blah, blah, blah. The point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of wisdom out there, and I'm talking about the older generation, my age, Bobby Jay's age. Okay, Jim Channels is still very much in the public, you know, square, so forget about him. But people like, you know, Dennis Gartman or um, Walter Diemer, the retired technician, 50 some odd years of experience. Um, We're going to get Don Cox in here soon. There's a whole generation of uh, market professionals who have so much to offer and their voice is not being heard. And I kind of think I could also be a bridge to some of those people because I have relationships with them. So I'm going to stop on the rant. I really want feedback and I want suggestions. You know about how one would go about doing this if they know anybody, and also what part of these rooms do they view to be most valuable? I think it's the authenticity. I think it's it's the raw, unscripted nature of it. These perfectly conducted rooms where they've been sanitized. I think people ever there's a feel of artificiality about that. I've been told by many in DMs that people like when I swear. I'm fully capable of stringing sentences together without swearing if I so choose to, but. I, I just think there's a there's a need for something like this, and we could even extend it to having some companies come on and I could interview them, but I'm not going to do it in Shilling, Puffery, Kramer type style. So, if anybody has any question, any suggestions about that, I, I, I'd like to hear from you because I'm seriously thinking about taking this to a much bigger stage, and I, I think I'd, I'd want it to be. I mean, imagine a Joe Rogan type podcast where it's not just me interviewing somebody, yeah, I'll have someone come in, but where you have, you open up the Twitter space and you have like, you know, dozens of people, friends of this room asking questions. I think that's really what makes it differentiated and really makes it resonate. So let me just stop. Uh, does anyone have any thoughts, comments or reactions to any of that? Please raise your hand. Jackson, I'm going to go to you. Jackson, any thoughts?
10: I just, you hit the nail on the head. It's so authentic as it is now. I wouldn't want to see any of that authentic, authenticity wear off. So I don't have the answer for you right now, but I love what you're doing. I mean, I really do.
0: Yeah, you know, you know. Th- thank you. That, you know, it, 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 I started this out just because, what the heck, I, I, I couldn't put up all the garbage I was listening to in FinTwit, so I figured oh, I'll just do my own. Um, Intercept, did you have a suggestion? I see your hands up.
12: Hi, yeah, thank you. Um, I've actually been lucky enough to work with a few big influencers, uh, mainly doing their accounting and, and you know, stuff like that. And what I can tell you is there's no barrier to get into Spotify or YouTube or any of these platforms. Uh, there is one currency respected in this space, and that's a following. And uh, on Twitter alone, I'd say you are sort of getting to this spot where it would be very easy for you to have a Spotify uh, podcast. That's not a problem. But what I think differentiates you is uh, at least to me, it seems like you don't have bills to pay. And um, there's two problems you will run into. Number one is um, the algorithm respect volume. If you want to grow, you've got to put out volume, meaning that you will over time dilute your own content. Um, you see it all over the place. You see people starting really good channels, and then over time, it just becomes weirder or more and more obscure. So if you want to start something that is more organized than this, I would make sure that you have a very solid plan of content and filler content planned out a long time in advance, like at least six months ahead of time. Uh, And then obviously um, I am available uh, knowing the business a little bit. I know it as a business and I sort of know what you need to do to grow. Um, So it's, uh, I'm obviously not a social media professional myself. I'm, I'm an accounting and, and auditor major. So it's, it's not my game, but I, I know how to play it if need be.
0: No, I, I really appreciate that. and if We can go we can be in touch by DM. I just, I just followed you, so we could talk off-channel. Um, I actually think, and I asked you a question, anybody else, I think part of the trick also, the authenticity we agree on, I also think the exposure thing is a very key thing. You don't want to overexpose yourself. It would be very easy for me to do this every day, but I have a life and I have a job. Um, I think maybe twice a week or something like that, once during the week, once on the weekend, maybe at a regular time say, I don't know, two hours, because I also noticed the way these rooms roll, that they can go five hours, but at a certain point, it kind of starts to lose its mojo. So set a time, an hour's too short. I think two hours is good. People can tune in and tune out. But I I just observe, I mean, this is mind boggling. I mean, Bobby Jay's in here, not just because he's a friend, he's obviously getting a lot from this. okay We started this room, I just want to point out, we started this room, I think, two and a half hours ago. And most of the people on stage haven't left some people come and go, but you can't force somebody to sit through something for two or three hours unless they're interested. People are here because they're interested. So I think there's a trick to, you got to make it long enough. So it's not this dumb soundbite thing. You have to be able to flesh out what's important. You have to allow different, different points of view to be heard in the public square, but you don't want to make it to be long. So if you said, you know what, two hour show twice a week, you know, once during, once during the week, once on the weekend, whatever. um, And, you know, I, I, I just, I think there's a market for it. So, Jax, I see you have your hand back up. What do you think?
10: I just was going to see if we could uh, get Dave Collum to speak to it, because I know he's on a lot of podcasts and channels and things of that nature.
0: Uh, also I, in George, yeah, such yeah, a great yeah. mind. Excellent idea. So, Dave, are you there, Dave Collum? Yeah, I
14: just unmuted. Um, it's interesting you bring up that issue of how to go to another place. I had a prominent blogger try try to sell me on the idea of blogging. I just had this feeling it wouldn't work when the time came. Um, one thing that would help. Well, first of all, George, you're still digitizing through my phone. I don't know if anyone else is hearing that, but you, you're starting to sound like a robot. Uh, hold, hold,
0: hold on, hold on, Dave. One second, one second, one second. Oh, here, Jackson, Bobby J. Is anyone else having a problem when I speak? Yeah, yeah, we, we do.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. All right, all right. I will yes. move to a different place in the house. David Collins, keep
14: speaking. Go ahead. Um. So I agree with internet philosopher. You can have something that works that doesn't translate. And uh, I decided that what I do wouldn't translate um, to a blog. Um, uh, just some thoughts. Uh, we're, you, you, you pinged buybacks, and, and I had this – I've written about buybacks being an awful thing for many years. But, but, but in some sense, the buybacks are a consequence of the low interest rates because uh, – Because if your balance sheet can get no return, then buying an overpriced stock becomes possibly your best argument. So that's kind of a benign view of buybacks. But I I think when when you're buying a stock with a PE of 50 um, to get a 2% return, that's because the treasuries and other things you'd put on the balance sheet. If interest rates were at 15%, like in 1981, you would never – use that balance sheet because you're making so much money off it um the next thing i want to ask about uh, a couple of quick questions uh i often cite the 20 percent zombies in the s p which i get from very credible people like james grant i have yet to find a list which should be a hundred companies and if anyone knows uh has has a list of those 20 percent zombies i'd love to get it but i'm not finding it easily um and then the other thing is, um, and, and there were only 2% zombies back when interest rates were 9%. So that's a catastrophic you know, suitcase nuke. Um, the other one is I was having a conversation with, again, I don't know if it's true, but the guy I was talking to certainly is as credible as anyone I know in the known universe. He said, we're going to turn over $17 trillion in our sovereign wealth in the next two years.
0: And that strikes me as another suitcase nuke. Yes, yeah, Dave, Dave, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to turn over 17 trillion of sovereign, meaning, meaning bonds have to be rolled. Is that what you mean?
14: Uh, tur- you digitized on me again. Turnover. I-, I heard we were going to turn over 17 trillion of U.S. debt in the next two years. Can Can someone confirm that?
0: Bobby J?
2: Uh, that's correct. So, so
14: yeah. maybe... I- Maybe that's not a problem, and I just don't understand the mechanics of dot, sovereign that rollover,
0: but that sounds like a problem to me. Yeah, and you know what? You know what? We're, we're going to get Michael Howe back in here because that's right in his wheelhouse.
14: You've cut right out on
0: me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, the, the, the reception, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on here. Okay, can people hear me now or not?
12: You're still a bit crackly.
0: I'll, 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 let me move again. Um, Got you clearly. Hey right. George, I'm yes, going to uh, off uh,
2: line. I'm going to talk to you about production. I can help you set up uh, better production uh, operation here for you, because that would be the step that you have to do next to do. Uh, yeah, a yeah, podcast. yeah,
0: t- t- totally. What well, would be big help? Anyone has a connection with Bloomberg?
2: I can do Spotify? that for you. Sorry. I can do that for you.
0: Yeah, I'd really like to have a – I've been trying to reach out to them, but they don't
14: respond. George, do you, a simple question. Do you do these on a schedule? Because I just stumble upon them.
0: No, they're ad hoc. I think part I of think, the more. I
14: think it would help if, if if, you, in the very least, just said we're going to do them, you know, Tuesday, Thursday at 4 o'clock or something like that. Because I'm you. sure I'm missing great great these 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 rooms are it's amazing it's like studio 54 where you know Dustin Hoffman shows up right um it, it, that's what's great about it. I did not expect to see Jim chano show up right and
0: Dave you know what's funny I've been trying to get Jim to come in as a speaker for weeks and he became one and, and today I didn't even invite him today he stumbled right. on it and all of a sudden there he is
1: Yep.
11: Yeah. Hey, George, Dave, I would just say, look, you guys are a a few years older than me, but I would just say Twitter literally is the platform you need to be on because you could reach an audience bigger than, you know, if you are like uh, on Spotify or on YouTube and you have a podcast, uh, that's fantastic. The problem is those are just very well done, produced. You have one or two guests. This platform here that you're on allows you to reach literally countless of people everywhere in the world at a moment's notice and to dave's point if you had like one or two days where people knew you were going to do a podcast uh, you know spaces that's fine but doing these ad hoc spaces is fantastic because it allows people to jump in when they need to when they can and allows them to do that from their phones in their cars as uh, dave was what you were in your car the other day when you hopped in here uh, yeah. so i mean you could do it everywhere that's the beautiful thing about twitter is that it democratizes all this. When you go to Spotify, when you go to YouTube, it kind of brings it all down, condenses it into a, you know, where you sit down and you just listen to two people have a conversation. That's all fine, but those things already exist. I think what makes this special, George, is the fact that you can draw so many different people from so many different walks of life, young people, older people, people with experience, people with no experience, and have a conversation and have a lot of thought, go into it. I mean, and again, it's it's it can be done at a moment's notice, anytime, anywhere so so, so,
0: so, So here, let me ask you a question, okay? I believe, I really do believe, and it's not me smoking my own Kool-Aid, drinking my own Kool-Aid. We have the best content of FinTwit, period. All right? Period. I, 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 I absolutely agree, 100%. Okay, I mean, okay so, yep. the, so the question is, this is amateur. I don't know what I'm doing. This went from, like, just an idle thing. I had, had 2,000 followers three months ago. I now have 18,000. This thing deserves to be heard by hundreds of thousands about millions. Other than organic growth, what do we do
12: to, to, to have that happen on here? Well,
11: well, I, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry.
12: Dave. Yeah, uh, so here's the thing that you need to be very cognizant of. Um, Dave and Bob, uh, Bob makes a good point where production value is, is concerned, that that is important, but content is always king. You can sound like you're in the submarine if it's good enough. Doesn't matter, but Content is important overall, but the other thing is all these social media platforms cater to very different types of people. So generally, uh, YouTube is the one who's going to pay you the most, meaning that you can eke out a living with 500,000 subscribers on YouTube if you get decent views, and especially in the finance space. But uh, there is really no cost of being everywhere. You can uh, record this space and upload it as a video on YouTube. That's not even, like, that's not a problem at all. That's like extra five-minute thing. And you can just make it a podcast, make that into an RSS feed. And now you're on Apple Podcasts. You're on every podcast app. You're on Spotify uh, all at the same time. And uh, you're going to grow sort of a little bit here and a little bit there. And at some point, one of these platforms are going to want to partner you. Uh, Twitch, for example, or YouTube partner. And at that point, you may sign away some rights to be in other places. But uh, organic growth, there, there's a few things that I can tell you that are extremely important. Uh, and it varies from platform to platform. Like Twitter obviously wants you to keep doing spaces because that's uh, whenever somebody's in the space you're in, it's just fantastic growth opportunity. So, uh, so Twitter definitely spaces and YouTube, it is consistency and volume. Like they want content and they want watch time. So if you can have a two-hour thing and people actually spend two hours watching that thing on YouTube, YouTube will love you and push your stuff. So, so th- right, right,
0: yeah. So, so let me ask you a question: How does how does YouTube or how does Twitter benefit from me doing space doing spaces or pocket or, 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 or podcasts?
12: Well, I mean, generally speaking, for all of these platforms, uh, I think YouTube, uh, Spotify is probably the only one I know that makes their main source of revenue from paid memberships. But all the other ones are advertisement funded, meaning that the more time I spend on the app, the more money they make.
11: Well, I think uh, also, also, I think it depends. Here's the thing, George. I mean, it it depends on what you want to accomplish. Do you want to accomplish this as a, like what, uh, who was just speaking there? Um, Anyway, the, the, oh, the, the what? The internet you're, philosopher. So what philosophy. are you saying? What, I, yeah, I'm what, sorry what you we're broke up is, a right, bit. I, mean,
12: I, I didn't hear you. No. Yeah. What, what I was
11: saying was like what you're saying, uh, internet philosophers, is absolutely true. Now, what you're talking about is a business model, right? How, if George wanted to go out and do this as a for, a supplemental income or as a full-time job now that he's kind of retired out of his profession, then that the, those are the kind of, you know, the Spotify, the YouTube and that type of thing where you can actually uh, have an income source. Now, with Twitter… If that's not what you want to do, I think what George is wanting to do, he has a passion for getting the message out there to people not to get fucked in the investment space, in the, in the investment world, right? There are too many people out there that are just going to get completely hosed over the next few years. And I think George is, a pa- is passionate about getting the message out there to people that are watching CNBC, that are watching these closed networks that just feed you nonsense all day long. And so those are the two different types of platforms. And, if, and fr- from what I understand of George, and I've known him a while now, He's very passionate about that. So Twitter is literally the the best tool to get that message across. Now, whether or not you can monetize it and make some money doing it, that's a whole different story. But if your your if you're MO is just to get that message out there and furthermore to get as many interesting people, voices on your spaces as you can, this is the way to do it. Because you couldn't do that with a podcast. You couldn't do that with a YouTube. Yeah, 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 where, yeah.
1: Oh,
0: oh, here. Oh, yeah. here. Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Okay. I mean, I know Jim Cramer. I can run rings around Jim Cramer. People, you know, he's entertainment, right? There isn't, people are dying for information. And I make plenty of mistakes, but I'm not shilling for anybody. And I'm speaking the truth, giving it my best shot. Yeah, right. And I think and that authenticity resonates with people. Yes. And, and and you know, I I, I think I could kill two birds with one stone because, frankly, I'm willing to commit more time to this. I'm, gonna commit, you know, I'm doing yeah. this for free. I'm willing to commit more time for this, but yeah. I want it to be free to people to listen to. But if I'm going to put more effort into it, then I want yeah. to start getting paid for it. So and, and I really, and it, I really yeah. want to do both over here. Yeah. I really want yeah.
11: yeah. And, I, and, I, and listen, George, I think this is the way to do it because, you know, you can see just having a two hour deal. Sometimes we've been in spaces together. I've been in there with you for four or five hours on a weekend where where you'll have 2,000 different people hop in and out during that time frame. I mean, that's what's exciting. People from all over the world literally can come in, tune in, listen ask a question or just listen and hop in and hop out follow you follow other people other speakers and get that information out there so it's exponentially growing it's just you know it takes yeah. a little bit of time you know no, so, I, I, I,
0: I get i get it. all right listen you and i will talk all, offline O'Hare. before the break all right a few more questions and we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna stop uh, i'm going minute. to
12: uh get off now but i i just want to speak to what o'hare was saying is even if you don't want to make a living uh they are intertwined. You can't do one without the other. Success means making money on these platforms, and and that could even just mean, uh, you know, paying an editor to edit these sounds and make them more palatable for a YouTube audience, for example. Yeah, if no, you don't I, want I, the money I, yourself,
1: I, I, I understand. So, and look,
0: the, the sound quality should be improved. I got that, but I think in yeah. fact that this is not polished; that it's raw. I think that authenticity is really counts for something. I probably need some hundred percent,
15: George. Hundred th- percent. I,
0: I think we need we need we need a better job of. You know the the music quality when I do the one minute intro, whatever. But that's all little stuff. The most important thing is content. You said it right. I believe I have content. You do.
12: I, I... I agree. And uh, you seem very authentic. And if you uh, you know are what you say you are, and I don't have any reason to believe that you're not, I I will obviously I will let you leverage my skill set to help you.
0: No, I, I look. You're going to be my new best friend, internet philosopher. You, you and I will talk offline. I just DM'd you, so I look forward to speaking with you. All right, let's Same. move back.
1: Quick. Yeah, you let's all. Move back.
0: Th- thank you, Thank you very much for your input. So let's move back quick. I just want to knock off there. I see five hands raised. Let's knock these off and call it a day. Jackson, you got a follow-up? Jackson?
10: Yeah, I was just curious if I'm the only nerd in here that if I miss one, I listen to the recorded. Or do you get any traction on the recorded,
0: Georges? Oh, boy, Jackson, you wouldn't believe it. I mean – typically what tends to happen there might be like usually let me just right as a smaller room part of the reason one of the reasons was the canadian oil mafia ran there I, unbeknownst to me they started room exactly the same time but you know what's interesting we had i think as many as 400 in the room at any one time today but it didn't at all attract from the quality because look at all the great people we have in here all right so what matters is not really how many people are listening to the room as long as i got smart cookies like you know you and o'hare and bobby j and you know, Dave, it's all good. But so what will typically happen is it'll be like, okay, four hundred people, six hundred people, nine hundred people listen to the room at any one time, and there might be two or two and a half thousand people who listen to the room at one point or another during the couple hours it's going ongoing. So maybe we come out of the room; it'll say two and a half thousand people listened. But before it's all said and done, it's usually you're having six or eight thousand people listening in total. So there might be two or three times as many people listening to the replay as uh, as, as heard it live, and then this will really knock your socks off. Two of the rooms we did recently, which were two of the most popular and best rooms we've ever done, I think the Michael Green one hit 25,000 total listeners, and the Michael Belkin one hit 20,000 total listeners. So what that means is 90% of the people listening did not hear it live. So what is your reaction to that, Jackson?
10: Wow, I think it goes with what you said. It's the best room on FinTwit and it's growing organically. It's authentic and you know, with the brain trust that's in here on a consistent basis, it's unbeatable. Um I love Dave and Bobby J both and uh and uh O'Hare talking about a schedule. You know, if you do a Wednesday, Saturday, whatever it is. Um yeah. and then pop up pop up ones are always fun too. If Yeah, if, we if, yeah, you, you yeah We could have the
0: we could have the ad hoc ones as well. I agree. And then listen, you know what I, mean? like, I I say this a lot, and I don't say this gratuitously. I learn a lot from you. I mean, you know what happened? Like, take this room today. Like, you know, I, I look at the title I threw up there. Goldilocks is MIA. The Fed is Trapped. Dunning-Kruger Effect. Okay? Dunning-Kruger Effect came from Mt. Gox, who's an old friend. He's been on this forever. It was just a stream of consciousness looking at the Twitter feed, thinking about what occurred to me this week. Um, there's no shortage of things to talk about. Mr. Market's providing the content all the time. But importantly and crucially, Jackson – it's people like you and Dave Coleman, O'Hare, and Bobby J. The room is not what it is without you people because you're making me think I'm learning from you, and it also makes the room authentic, and you are you guys are thought leaders. Okay, You're asking the questions or bringing up the subjects that's on everybody's minds. I think the reason people like listening to me is, look, I'm not the brightest bulb in the block. I'm not the dumbest bulb in the block, but I got more experience than most people, 40 years. And monkey see, monkey do. I mean, Peter Lynch trained me. I've been in enough meetings with, you know, some of the greatest investors ever. So, you know, it's you learn by imitation. right. And and, and so,
11: George, one one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just going to add one thing that's really I I was just as I'm listening to you, I just had this thought uh, about past spaces. And one thing that I've noticed and I'm sure all of you guys have is. These rooms get smaller or bigger depending on the news flow, right, what's going on around us. So, for example, if Monday morning we wake up and we have a dislocation somewhere, the market's down 800, 900,000 points and we pop up a space, you pop up a space about it you're immediately going to get, you know, 1500 people in this room, you know. 100%. And if it's a, if it's a dead space time like on a Saturday afternoon, it's very casual. Some people are going to hang out with their kids, some people are going golfing, other people are like, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to get up, have a cup of coffee, listen yeah, to George oh, 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 and, and his oh, guests."
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the news will drive the size of the room. The other thing is there's some speakers like it doesn't matter who, what the news is. If I say, "Hey, Dave, you know, somebody, with with respect to you, O'Hare or you Jackson, or, or Bobby J. We don't have the the profile that Dave Collin has. Okay, we don't have the profile that Jim Chanos has. So I could just pop up a room on a slow day and say, Hey, Dave Collin, the man, the legend, blah blah blah. You know, conversation. People are going to show up. Ditto for Chanos. I mean, it happens every time. Belkin, Michael Green, Dennis Garvin. Just go down the list. So you're totally right, O'Hare. I mean, there are different draws here. It could be it could be the news flow. It could be the topic I put up. It could be the speaker I advertise. I really like the suggestion that you made or somebody made that we have a regularly scheduled thing where, you know, maybe we do Wednesday and Saturday. And then there's the ad hoc, you know, thing when circumstances dictate. So terrific idea here. I appreciate it. All right. We got four hands left up. And then I'm going to be done because we're going to be this is going to be three hours by the time. You know, it's three hours. Bobby J. We want this three hours. It's unbelievable. It's like, you know. My, my my partner Susan's like, can we go out for a walk now? I'm gonna have to fight her off. All right, quickly, guys, keep the questions short because I, I, I want to get out of here. Uh, J- Jeffrey, what's up? You got a question, Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Yeah, 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 a- absolutely. Um, you're not gonna get
16: this sort of uh audience participation in in a, a YouTube or a Spotify, um, and I think that's what gives this this program such strength. Is is all the 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 brain pop power, the, the experience, uh, you, you're not going to get that anywhere else. But what you could do is record this and put it on a podcast, like Apple uh, Apple Podcast. You know, just the recording of it because it's so valuable with the audience participation and interaction and the experience that you guys have and, and is it, it, the 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 exchange of knowledge in this platform. I think is an, you know you're not going to get that anywhere else on any other platform. So that's
0: so, just my so, two So No, Jeffrey, I record all of them. My question to you is – if so I, I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. So let's say I record this, and then I go put it on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, whatever, okay? Do you think – the recording is available here, but do you think that as many people are on Twitter – I mean, I know it's a question of distribution channel. Do you think there's a whole cohort of people who – would listen to it on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, but are not listening to it on Twitter.
16: I, I, I would think so. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 anyone who's interested in finance, I, I, I believe so. The economy, finance. I mean, you, you don't just talk about finance. You you, 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 you know, you guys talk about, you know, basically the current events, culture.
1: No, so, no, no, it,
0: Jeffrey, I, I agree with that. But what I'm trying to get at, and, and O'Hare or Jackson anybody, please jump in here.
2: George, like, absolutely I, less. You can look up podcasts by categories on Apple. If you go on Apple, if you think your unrecord, your recorded audience here is ninety percent, you're, you're going to get Apple will get you to a million.
11: I think Bob's absolutely hundred percent. I mean, there are a lot of people that commute to and from work, to and from classes at universities. You know, just whatever. Right. And right. they're not. To,
0: so so here yeah. and Bobby J, I want to understand something. If I'm telling you that you know, I get six hundred or eight hundred at one time in the room and two thousand over the course of the room and I get ten thousand all in when they listen to the replays. You're telling me if I take the recording and put it out to Apple or YouTube or Spotify, instead of ten thousand it's gonna be a much higher number on those on, on those channels. Yeah eventually, and by the way with yes. A, yes. With, a, yes. with a full throttle marketing plan, you're gonna to get to a million. And
2: okay. up, and and we can talk about that.
0: Sounds good.
10: J- Jackson,
0: you have a quickie?
10: I was just going to say that's why I was so encouraged to get those numbers from you on the replay. That's very encouraging way to go, bud. Yeah, no,
0: the replay numbers are running 10 times the size of the line. And actually,
11: month. you guys can see the replay numbers when you go to George's profile and he does the recorded. You can look at it and see how many times it's been uh, uh, viewed, you know, listened to.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, Jackson. It's really good advice for you guys. All right, we're going to go quickly here. I want to be done. So I want to do uh, Philo Investor and then Poshu. Philo Investor, what's
17: up? hi guys yeah real quick so i just wanted to say that i agree with o'hare about the whole bottom up organic audience from twitter and i mentioned you george in a small thread i wrote uh, a couple of hours ago about how twitter is investing in the whole podcast related offering competing with spotify finding ways to monetize the content on twitter so i wouldn't worry about monetizing the content and obviously i support recording and putting the 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 content into other um, platforms as well i mean you don't miss anything but you know the um, it's more lively here on Twitter spaces that's number one the second uh, point real fast is that um the whole talk about macroeconomics and the Fed and uh, how the Fed is stuck. I did um, a research, multi month research, a few years ago about Japan and their own fiscal monetary situation. And I see many parallels. And I just wanted to share that with you. If that's okay, we should find a, a way to, yeah, to share. Yeah,
0: you. yeah, yeah, yeah. F- Filo, I'd love to talk to you. It's just the interest of time. I want to. Well, we need to do it offline, DM, or sure. exchange phone numbers and talk. I have a lot sure. of thoughts on that. I'm a sumo Lati graduate of the Japanese bear market of the eighties, so mm-hmm. actually, you know, you know, don't ask me about biotech stocks; I'm useless. But Japan, I can that I know something about. So perfect. Uh, to talk offline. All right, thanks for that. Pop, sure. we're, gonna do, we're gonna do Pashu and then Andrew. Pashu, what's up?
15: Hi, George. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to make a comment, and exactly what Jeffrey said. I think um, the interaction that you have on Twitter is unmatched. Um, the fact that anyone can come on and ask questions to pros is, is, is incredible. I think the content that you have is so good that something structured that you publish on um, YouTube or Apple Podcasts, that could work as well. But, um, you know, O'Hare kind of touched on this too. Twitter is absolutely incredible and, and just uh, the best platform as far as interaction is concerned. Another little comment I wanted to make regarding Michael Belkin. He was on the all-hail comm room yesterday, and he was on there for a long time. He didn't speak. So you're adding to um, the lives of professionals who didn't even have phones a couple of weeks ago or
0: so, and, and I just wanted to make that comment. No, Pasha, so, I, 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 pre- I, Masha, I appreciate it. What, what room was he in, or what was he on? I, I didn't the, know that.
15: All hail Canadian all mafia room that kicked off right oh. after you got on the phone.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> wait, so, he, so he was in the mafia room. Did, did he speak, or he just sat there and did say anything?
15: He did not speak, but he was there for a good 30, 45 minutes, and I was on there, too. So,
0: And I'll just uh-huh. tell you, like, we're going to get him back. He is such a fine human being. He is so bright. He's a Cal Berkeley yes. statistics major. Like, Unlike these, you know, idiots who we were, no, he is the real deal. And again, for those of you who didn't listen to him, go back and, and I, I, rec- I saved all the things. So I'm going to find a way to put it back out, but please go listen to, um, it was one of those, it was only two hours, but had like 20,000, um, listeners. It was about two weeks ago. And I talked to, you know, I'm, I'm in contact with Michael every few days and I know what he's saying. I get his research. He hasn't changed in case you're wondering, this is just a bear market bounce and he's just. You just got to time it and go short again for those UK. And by the way, by the way, his call on energy and gold. I mean, not to shill for him. I have no commercial relationship with him, but nothing but net. Nothing but net. So this this guy is the real deal. Trust me. Um, all right. Th- thanks, thanks for that George. posture. Pre- appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we're gonna do Andrew, Brad, and Kevin, and then we're done. Andrew, what's up? hey george
18: thanks for uh, having me up and thanks for these sessions i've learned so much over the last month uh one thing i'd like to say well there are two things i'd like to say one is that content is king but distribution is god and i learned that from video game professionals um in the mobile space and distribution really means friction to engagement and twitter spaces in my opinion is the least frictitious Uh, way to engage um, an audience and have a fluid uh, conversation like this. Um, And so that leads me to my second point is that there are two things off the top of my head that I think make this work in the manner in which it does is one is the fluidity of conversation. You have people interrupting, you have people not interrupting, you've got ideas coming from left field, you've got a change of, uh, you know, the tangents happening all the time. Uh, and then coming back to the main point, and I think it's, uh, the organic nature is, is one of the things that makes, makes it work. The second thing that I think makes it work is that there's no financial incentive. And once you get on, and once you get onto a distribution platform like Bloomberg, like Spotify, like these, you know, certain places, they're going to have a list of things that mm, no, 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 you can't talk about that or you get a slap on the wrist. So, um, and then a final thing, um, I saw that you're going to be, uh, speaking, uh, at Georgetown um in maybe two weeks or so and i was wondering if there was a an after party for that so anyway, <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> yes yeah, so, by the so, way a,
0: a, 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 andrew how did you find out about that by the way
18: um i know i know a guy who teaches in the law school over there and we got to talking about it. he said oh yeah buddy of mine is a part of the finance school and then you might want to check out some of the sessions no, so, that, just, that, I, no,
0: no that, that, that's funny um no, I got invited to that because the guy behind the program, one of the sponsors of the program is a friend of mine. He said, would you mind coming to Georgetown to give it a lecture? I said, fine, I'll do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking Amtrak down to D.C. I think it's a week from Tuesday or something like that. And it uh, should be fun. I don't know. It's funny. One of the things I asked, I go, well, is there a reception? They're not doing anything. So if you want to you wanna put something together or whatever, I'm, I'm all in. But, you know, I – it's funny. Anyone listening, the other day, I mean, I kind of made a fool of myself. We had it was totally ad hoc. I went to this reception. There was this Trader reception, you know, it's at it, it, uh, Sally's Pizza in uh, in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. And Tommy Thornton had, had, had tweeted it out the morning of, and it just so happened I was able to get there that night. So I show up, and it was great. We did this crazy. We did it totally. It, to well, here's point. It was totally ad hoc. People loved it. But anyway, this Georgetown thing is totally just to. I think the topic is explaining the difference between running a hedge fund versus running a mutual fund or something like that. So I'll be my usual, um, irascible self. Maybe I should even ask them if we can put a, turn the Twitter on, make so people listen in or whatever. But, um, I, there is a recording. I, there will be a recording. I don't know if it's going to be widely disseminated. I will talk to the Georgetown people and ask them, but it should be a lot of fun. So th- thank you for that, Andrew. I really appreciate it. And, uh, We'll look forward to talking to you back channel via DM thank you for the input Andrew. really appreciate it all thank right you. so last, last two questions Brad and then Kevin Brad what's up
19: hey George I'm the executive producer of the documentary series dirty money on Netflix I'm also the executive producer of Apple's first original podcast which came out last year um, I've DM with you we should just talk about uh, I would probably take about an hour for me to give you a mini master class about let's call that the traditional side of the business so that, you know, the pros and the cons. I do kind of agree with a lot of the people uh, to maybe not go that route, but I, you shouldn't turn down something when you don't know <laughs> what you're turning down. And that's what I do. So um, I've DM'd you, if you want to chat, uh, hit me back and I'm happy to spend uh, an hour. Brett, Brett, I
0: really appreciate it. I mean, my, again, I think talking to someone like you would be incredibly valuable. I have two objectives here. One, you know, I'm just trying to help people. And and I've been very fortunate, you know, right place, right time. I was trained by the best people. And I think I'm honest. I think I'm hardworking. I make plenty of mistakes. But I think people can relate to me because I'm not trying to sell them anything. And people are just dying for information. So, one, I want to get the information out to a bigger audience. And then two, if I am going to invest more time in this, you know, I would want to think about monetizing it, but I don't want to charge anybody for it. I want it to stay free. So I know, I know there's a business side to this with the advertising, all that kind of stuff. I think a conversation with you, you know, monetization 101 for dummies would be highly helpful to me. So why don't you you and I be in touch? I saw your DM. I'll be in touch with you. I really look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, George, one, George, just I just had a th- thing. Yeah. But just one other thing and then I'll duck off.
19: I got into the business for the exact same reason. Literally, I was accepted to grad school with <laughs> pretty shitty undergrad grades because I said I believed in my ability to both educate and entertain. And that's what you're doing. And God blessed for doing that. And so that's the only reason I'm offering it up
0: is because we're both, you know,
19: swimming down that same street. Yeah.
0: You, you, you know, you know, it's funny because you and I are soulmates that way. You're offering it up because you were there and you want to help someone with the same problem you had. And I'm offering it up because Correct. I was a kid in 1981, didn't know shit. And I happened to show up at fidelity investments when the S and P was at 775, and Peter Lynch was my boss. Like how good was that? You know? So, I want to, I want to, I want to pay forward. You know, I want to pass on what what, what I got from those who went before me. So that's why I'm doing it. Well, so, and yeah. I have an
19: under, undergraduate business degree, and I couldn't agree more about the financial illiteracy and even stock market and bond and debt and Fed
0: illiteracy. So, uh, kudos to you. Appreciate it, Brad. You and I will be in touch. All right, uh, O'Hare, do you have a comment? I think you and Brad. Well, yeah, I was just
11: gonna. I was just gonna quickly say, you know, there's you could still monetize a portion of these Twitter spaces. But you know what would be really cool if you were to get to a point where you could do that, uh, if you had a personal charity to to you know have the proceeds go to, or even like sure. a a, biz, a business school alma mater to do a yep. fellowship program for somebody. Yep. Something like that would be fantastic.
0: So, so here you might know this, but. A few weeks ago, I made mention in one of the spaces that we were working on something behind the channels, to uh, back channel, to do exactly that, get the charity. But it's of the possible Twitter. Turns out the the individual who uh, contacted me, because this individual is in one of our rooms, and, and this person comes across, oh, I'm a fundraiser, and this is my life dream to help people, and blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> someone else in these rooms, I'm not going to mention names, because he's been subject to enough controversy as it is, who's also very philanthropic. We engage this person to help build out a plan. And and I spent a few hours on the phone. This is what happens. And we soon realized like six weeks into it, scam artists or not scam artists, very sketchy. Like, you know, it just, it didn't make any sense. Like something wasn't right. And so, uh, just to let you know, so I had this instinct to to to, to, to uh, engage.
17: Well,
11: yeah, vetting people here on Twitter—that's the hardest part, you know, making sure their intentions are true, and yeah. there's a lot of shit going on. Yeah, totally,
0: totally, totally, totally. All right, last one, Kevin, you're up. What's up, Kevin? Uh, thanks for having me on, George. Can you hear me okay? We hear you fine. Okay.
20: Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, uh, like, I joined into this a few weeks ago, and uh, I I think there's a real magic here, and I just wanted to say that uh, in terms of scalability, I think that right now you've got a certain intimacy to this room that allows you to hear from people from all kinds of different uh, backgrounds and experiences. Uh, Just to give you some idea on mine, I am actually a former institutional guy myself. And I think that, you know, since I left the business formally, uh, this is the closest thing that I've seen to actually uh, what would have been investment committee meetings previously, uh, where you you would get people in bonds, you'd get people in currencies, you'd get people in equities and a lot of different perspectives on what's going on in the market. And I haven't seen any other platform that really offers this. I think, you know, if the concern here is scale, well, you're already seeing that, you know, you've got the intimacy of the room and yet you're still getting 20,000 people show up for the replay. You know, I think you may have already answered your own question
0: right so i agree with both you know what this is kind of like or as i think about this it's kind of like professional sports or any 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 spectator sports where you, know, you got the people let's say it's a basketball game you got the eighteen thousand people in the arena but the real monetization occurs from the tv and all the ancillary revenues And what you don't want to do is is play in a you know if you were to play in in as, as they do you play the ncaa's in a Sixty thousand seat arena doesn't work. You need to keep the intimacy to your point, but you can have your cake and eat it. You, you, what I really would like, what I've heard here, what's what's kind of opened my eyes, what I really like the sound of is, we continue to do it on Twitter for all the reasons that have been mentioned. It's the most interactive. It's the most open, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And nobody pays anything, no nothing, and it's all free. And the other thing I like is, I think people respect me enough where I keep this on a tight leash. And, you know, if you got game, you know what you're talking about. You get all the free rope, never get this by me. But when some yokel comes in here and tries to turn the table over and mess it up, I just shut him down. And that's, that's for everybody's protection. And so, and Gnostic, I'm going to get to you in a second. So, um, uh, so I like, I like your point about the intimacy. We have to retain that. We have to retain the interactivity of it. And the regulars that come in this room come in for a good reason. Cause we all learn from each other. Um, But then, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, but, but, value in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to keep all that. So I think where I need to, so I don't need help with the content. The content I got, and I got the connections, I can get people to come in here. What I need help with is figuring out whether it goes into YouTube or Apple or Spotify, how to distribute that and how to monetize it off of that without upsetting the, you know, and I'm totally happy, you know, yeah, if I'm going to spend more time on this, I want to get paid for it. I'm totally, all right, here's one for you. Put the cat amongst the pigeons. What if I said, okay, we're going to keep it as it is. We're going to distribute it out to, you know, these other things—Apple, Spotify, whatever—and oh, by the way, you know, whatever percentage of money I get from these other places, I'll earmark Y percent of it for charity. Period. And so, yeah. you know, and you could even put up a GoFundMe. i we almost did something, and I think I may still do it. I was going to put up a GoFundMe page uh, because people said it's the easiest way to do it—a GoFundMe page. Originally, it was going to be for like feeding people in Africa. That was the discussion. But given what's happened in the Ukraine, the thought was, and I guess you're doing work in this last weekend. See, guys, there's a lot of stuff going on you don't know about. And so the question was, you, you got to put up a charity. that's apolitical. And so the thought of, you know, Doctors Without Borders or, or something which is unassailable, that has a, has a high efficiency ratio and is not political, that nobody can object to. And my thought was, before we even trying to go on a grander scale and monetize this thing, we we'll say, okay, you know what, boys and girls, I mean, I had somebody. I think I tweeted this out. Somebody the other day said, I want to send. He, he, I didn't ask for this. He goes, Is, Do you have a favorite charity? I want to send in fifty bucks to that favorite charity just because I get so much value from these rooms, and you know, I want to give fifty bucks in your honor. I don't care about the honor. I don't need. I don't need. I don't. I don't need the recognition. But I was like, you know what? I'm giving this all away for free. I don't want, I don't need the money. I don't want the money, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to spend more time, I do want to get paid for it. But I'm like, so the original, the original thought was, you know what? I'll just set up a GoFundMe page. And anytime someone comes in these rooms and they think they got value out of it, they can just give money to the charity. And that seemed to really hit a positive chord with a lot of people. And like I said, we went down this road of trying to set that up. There's a whole thing about you have to have a committee and, you know, they want to make sure I'm not putting the money in my own pocket and blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But then in the middle of it, the person who was helping us with it, she turned out to be a real sketchy individual. So we bagged that. But I think there's tremendous value being given here. And I know everybody wants to give back. And I think if people feel they got value from this room, and I know they do, don't give me the money, give it to the charity. So anyway, hey, hey Nostic, Na- I want to hear from you, man. What's up? Uh,
21: just – George, you know what I, you know, the front end of what I'm going to say is thank you. Thank you for the rooms. Thank you for putting this stuff together. You're one of the best hosts on here. Uh, and you sit on top of people like me that open their mouth a little too much and tell us to shut up. And much as some people might think that's a little aggressive, it's much appreciated. Just just the control function alone, not, not just on me shutting up when I get too carried away, but <clears throat> just on everybody. And it gives a control to the room that, that's really valuable. But like we've said in some of the other rooms that have happened, and, and some of the places that have happened, the educational part of this, and, and again, I'll go back to the discussions we had and some of the people in the room here have, have been in the rooms before. There's so many people out there that don't know how to even carry on a decent conversation, that don't know what defamation is, that don't know what libel is, that don't know what communication is, that don't know the rest of the stuff. And like I've said before, these rooms are gonna become so important down the road for people that you can trust, people that you have faith in, people that you can listen to, because the nasty stuff we've had with COVID, the stuff that's going on with governments and closing stuff down and and aggressiveness and all the rest of the stuff, these rooms are going to become really important. In the background now, I'm working with a couple of people that were in the trucker's convoy to set something up so that you can't be blocked. People can't steal the money that goes into a GoFundMe page and all the rest of this stuff, and also set up a bunch of, of monetizing stuff. And we're doing stuff in the background to make sure that the internet is still going to be a free and accessible system for people to find and access. But that that's all my background stuff that, that we're doing in the background. But when you sit down and say, you know, here's a charitable thing, I haven't found, and I think somebody else was saying this before, I haven't found a room where, you know, if you go in and say, how many people in this room have a Bloomberg terminal, and you see the hands pop up, I mean, it's like, my God, that, that thing is expensive. You, you have to be you know, significantly in the business to be able to have that. But to <clears> have <throat> that many people in a room like this where somebody who's never traded before and is looking for advice can come in and talk to people, just, just the cost alone of trying to access somebody, somebody like you, me, some of the other people in this room is just horrific. To get it for free? Oh, my oh, God. that's man, brother. <laughs> that, that's just a gift to the world. And it's completely, you know, I mean, it's in, incalculably valuable to people. I, I don't even have a word to sit down and describe it. And a lot of these people, <clears throat> you know, they're too busy. There's too much time. Other people have too much time. I think the GoFundMe page is one of the best ideas I've heard, just to sit down and say, hey, there's somebody I trust that's running a GoFundMe that says it'll go to the right place, uh, that'll sit down and do it. Yeah, I'll throw in a couple hundred bucks into GoFundMe today. Um just, just to sit down and say thank you for doing the rooms and everything else and to feel like I've been able to do stuff. I'm, I'm helping people in Ukraine right now, um, just, just literally sending the money because I've got no other way to send the money right now. I, I, it's I not know. So,
0: it's, it's just listen to what you just said. I mean, people are getting tremendous value. You know, it, it could be life-changing the advice they get from, from these rooms. It's much better than the crap they're getting from the street. And you're learning. And you have a chance to give to charity to give back. I mean, like, hello, seems like a good deal to me.
21: Well, I mean, it, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, and, and the people here that have garnered the knowledge, one of the things that that is a problem for them is to find out how to give that, how to pass that knowledge forward. You know, how do I how do I educate other people? Not this mistake.
0: Did he Not just break bit, up or is me? Thank you. Thanks. All right. We're going to close this room shortly. Unless I hear you want to keep talking because I got to get out of here. Um,
11: no, I'm good. Fantastic.
0: All right. all right. So let's just one or two more and that's it because I'm really kind of chopped out. Uh, we're going to do Brad. Brad, what's up?
19: George,
0: an honor, Um uh, Yeah, Brad, what's up? Yeah, Brad, what's up? George,
13: if God makes you Dr. J and you got 20,000 people that want to help you,
0: just go with the flow. Thank you very much. And thank you to all the kind, brilliant people in this room every day or whenever you share. Thanks, bye. Thank you, Brad. God bless. Brian, you're, uh, let's see. Ernest, you are the last one. Ernest, what's up?
22: Hi, George. Um, Thanks. I've been listening to the rooms uh, quite a bit. I'm from South Africa. 20 years site analyst. I'm not an expert, but uh, I'm finding the content that you're sharing and the guests is is what's keeping me for you know coming back just to listen in. I don't enjoy all the material because a lot of it isn't really applicable to me. But when you start talking about stuff that that interests me, then you know I go on hyper Alert. So I enjoy just tuning in when I've got time hearing what the guys are saying and and I've grown to to enjoy it more. My advice to you is you know think about what's happened on Twitter. Spaces has actually um, allowed you to to get to this position, and I think I echo what everybody else said that it's really powerful because I think your strength is the way you're moderating. These um, these these rooms and the way you you're able to talk to all the people, the way you you sometimes cut people a bit shorter or, or, or ask follow-up questions. So I think your style of conversation suits this platform perfectly. So I would just say pop it off to the other platforms and then maybe just tweet out every now and then. Oh, this show was fantastic. Well, this room was fantastic. We, we had some really intense discussion about this topic. And then people can go and, and listen to the recording. But I think you're doing great. Just carry on.
0: Thank you, Ernest. That's really good advice. I One, one thing that occurred to me as you were speaking, someone made the suggestion earlier, uh, and that was they were asking me if, if any of these recordings are available on another platform already. Why? Because I guess you can't listen to the replays at an enhanced speed. I listen to to a lot of replays on webinars and whatnot, Zooms, on 150, 200%. And, you know, you could, you can slow it down when it comes to an interesting point. But the suggestion was made, if you could listen at a faster speed, you get through these things more quickly. So, question to anybody on stage, the the ability to listen to a replay more quickly, um, to me, that would be appealing. Does anybody on stage have a feeling about that?
22: Yeah, I think, you know, There's all these tricks you can do. The other thing is if you pop it through to YouTube or Spotify, there may be a way that you can bookmark certain sections in the two-hour session where you, if you go to minute 37 you can hear the big debate that you guys were having about a particular topic. You could highlight a couple of those areas. It does take a lot of time, I guess. You may need to get somebody to help you. But I think that would add huge value. But I think, you know, what you're doing now is fantastic. Just carry on. I mean, this is love.
0: I like it. I like it. And your point's great. You bookmarked. I could say exactly. I I, I, re- I think you're spot on, Ernest. Thank you for that. All right. Pleasure. And thanks, thanks for all, all right. your efforts. All right. Last two. I'm going to do... Andrew with a follow-up, and then Brian. Andrew, what's up? Yeah, again, just to reiterate,
18: uh, content is king, but distribution is God, and you really have to go to where your audience is. Um, right now, uh, you know, Twitter is, is the current audience, but you have to also go to the uh, YouTube and Apple and Spotify and Facebook and every other bloody audience to try. If, if your goal is to reach as many people as possible, you have to go to where they are. So um, that's number one. And number two is definitely, I I think um, if you go on SoundCloud, for example, they've got a a commenting system where essentially people can contribute and bookmark certain sections of certain things. And um, YouTube also has that. So you can just click on, um, you know, the time frame uh, with with a topic linked to it. Um if they're you know don't care about bonds, but they really care about equities or you know real estate or what have you. So um, there's a little bit of infrastructure and a little bit of elbow grease that has to go into something like this. And uh, you know I guess we can talk a little bit more um, in back channels. So again, I just want to say thank you um, to
0: all of the contributors and to uh, to you for hosting these. All right, I appreciate that, Andrew. Uh, I'm going to do one last thing. We're going to have Brian, but one last thing. I see my good friend, Dr. Jim Walker, I snuck into the room and if he'd be so kind, I'm going to invite him up to speak. If he wants to grace us with maybe a quick five minute update on what's changed since uh, he was last on, that would be wonderful. I don't know if he's available to do so, but that would be great. Otherwise, uh, if he chooses not to speak, uh, we're going to have Brian uh, ask the last question. Brian, hello. What's up, man? The is yours. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? We got you. What's up, man? All right, yeah. So
2: I think a good thing to do would be to, on YouTube, you break it down, and then you have, like, two people review it, kind of like a, what, what they do in rap, video reviews. So you have them listening to it, and then they review and explain exactly who's playing it, who is talking at the time. And what it will do is give the people an introduction to who they are and how they might be interested in them. And then I think it'll push more people to the spaces if you want to get innovative with it.
0: Really appreciate that input. And uh, I hope uh, we're probably going to talk about this some more. This is really the first go round, But um, I I value your input. Everybody's. This is great. We're going to we're going to make this thing a huge thing. And you know what's going to be really cool? The room will probably, I mean, I suspect eventually the room will get bigger, but that's not right. the point. If we just continue to have the regular four or five, six hundred people in the room, yeah, we'll probably, we're in the studio, we're doing the show. And then if hundreds of thousands of millions wind up seeing it on Apple or Spotify or whatever, OK, or listen to it, that'd be awesome. So I think this is great. I think we can have our cake and eat it. So this is awesome. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. All right. Cool. All right. Our last and again, again, where else on Twitter? Where else in the world could you possibly find this? We have the, uh, we got, I think the best content bar none. Um, uh, and, and, and we talk about, you know, the friends and the connections and he just happens to be Jim Walker, Dr. Jim. We had, we had, we, we had Jim Chano's in here, another Jim two hours ago. All right. Totally unscheduled. Jim, <laughs> uh, J- Jim how have your horses been doing the last couple weeks?
5: Yeah. Well, you know that this is the start of the flat season in the, uh, the UK, George, so uh, this afternoon's been taken up a wee bit with horse racing and uh, uh, and then I was watching my football team uh, draw one each with the Air United, um, which is not a particularly good result, uh, but uh, that, that's what's been going on this afternoon. Now I'm watching the Red Sox uh, uh, and Raphael Devers <laughs> uh, scoring two home runs in the... The first three innings, so it's uh, a wee bit of a sporty afternoon. Hey, hey,
0: Jim, you know what I'd love to have happen someday? I'd love for you to like to hear a broadcast of a, a Red Sox game
5: with with your accent every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think anybody in Boston would want to hear that, George. But never mind. Um, but you know, I I I've been listening for a wee while, uh, just in some of the comments, and I, I couldn't agree more with. Most of the guys on here saying that it's a fantastic forum. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I listened yesterday, uh, and just backing up what you're saying, that it's not everybody that listens listens live. Uh, I mean, some of us are in a slightly different time zone. But uh, I listened to the Three Aces uh, conversation yesterday, and uh, what, what an amazing expose by you and the guys for some of the shysters that are in... Uh, Twitter and God knows what all that just don't want to uh, acknowledge who they really are um, and then come on and criticise people and uh, make up all sorts of things uh, about them and uh, th- th- this uh, forum is is brilliant for doing that as well, just giving people who deserve uh, a platform uh, a space to, to do that so thank you very much for for, for uh, doing the stuff for David Morris. That, that I thought was brilliant uh, over the last couple of days.
0: Uh, no, yeah, Jay, Jay, much appreciated. Because, you know, God forbid any of us find ourselves in his position. It's just outrageous what happened to him.
5: Uh, no, I know, I can fully understand that. Um, I mean, you were asking for any updates. Uh, I, I, the only thing I would say that that's a big update in the the, the last week or so Apart from the fact that uh, I've managed to catch COVID and now go over it, um, which uh, is almost something of a relief. But uh, the, the, the big update is the, the, the change of attitude in China um, over the course of the last two weeks from a, a country that seemed actually very relaxed about everything and very relaxed about the, uh, the, the, the way that things were going and the, the economy and the, the stock market. All of us, all of a sudden, really switched tack um, and started talking about bailing out stock market uh, investors and intervening in the market to make sure that things go, didn't go down too much. So my, my view was that there was an interesting element of panic there, and I, I, I don't really think that the Chinese panic very much uh, in in terms of economic policy and in terms of. Um, the, the way things are going in the markets, et cetera, et cetera. But th- this last couple of weeks was a very significant change of direction for them, which I would say to everybody online, take it as being the Chinese being much, much more concerned about the state of the global economy than perhaps you had understood or anticipated. Um, because that's the kind of thing that they do when they think things are not going well at all. Uh, And it's not anything really to do with their own domestic economy because they've closed it off in so many ways as a result of their zero COVID policies. But uh, I think it's an indication of what they think is happening globally, whether it's the Ukraine war, whether whether it's uh, the Fed, whether it's uh, what's happening in the markets. But um, they, they, they are real students of... Uh, developments and things that are going on in markets and in the global economy. And that change of direction for them was a big, big signal to me that we're all in trouble.
0: So Jim, it's signaling we're all in trouble. I got it. But there's also a signal of you that are likely to become a bit more uh, aggressive or, shall we say, less passive in what they're doing.
5: Sorry, George. Uh, you you were breaking up in me there. Um, yeah, yeah. No. So, so do you think we're likely to see more of a policy response from them? Uh, no, a, a huge policy response, not in the sense of uh, cutting interest rates particularly much. Um, you know, the 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 the, the, the uh, authorities in Beijing are actually much more about the the talk talk rather than the walk walk. But even talk talk to them is a is sending signals, uh, and that's what they're all about. And, you know, actually, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's uh, bizarre, as you might think about it, the, 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 the Chinese are actually much more about uh, market signals than any of the rest of us are these days. And all I'm saying is that the, the signals that they're sending just now, and the, the, especially that change of direction over the course of uh, uh, the last two weeks, should be a big signal to everybody, but what what I think they're saying is you, you guys need to in their own economy, you guys need to understand that we've got problems in the global economy and those problems are not going away.
0: Okay, so so to you the real message here is it's validation, a signal from the Chinese, is validation that they believe something's really something's really very problematic right now. Is that what you're Abs-
5: saying? Absolutely right. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that it's all down to the cost of oil or the cost of uh, iron ore or shipping or XYZ costs. I'm saying that, uh, that, that they're frightened about something um, or they wouldn't change direction in the way that they have done and they wouldn't start talking about bailouts in the way that they have done. That's just not their nature. And in that sense, I think just people should sit up and take notice Purely on the basis that uh, they they've seen something that they don't like.
0: That's great, Jim. Um, appreciate that. I'd love to have you come back. Uh, maybe we could set up a time at the, end of the day. Come up and speak again a little bit. Or yeah, a, any time,
5: t- t- any time, George. Yeah, uh, and I'll,
0: I'll, uh, I'll, if I'll, I can, if I
5: get on, I can get onto a better time zone with yeah. you, uh, even better. <laughs>
0: I got it. I got it. I got it. All right, listen, this has gone on. Appreciate that, Jim. This has been awesome. Um, thank all of you. The room's not possible. would be the high quality it is without you all, you, all of you. And we'll be doing this again before too long. So, everyone, have a good rest of the day and a good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye.